Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to say thank you to the following people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Wettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Dylan DeArch, Phil Sowerby, Joshua K, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Perant, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Johan Rubstad Lilia, Dennis Brakus, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, and Lee Sparkles. These awesome people have chosen to back our Patreon at the C64 tier, and we are hugely appreciative of the support they offer. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout out, access to our Discord server, and any special releases we put out, and other cool stuff such as early access to the episodes ad free, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. And now, on with the show. to episode 85 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Radding. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 36 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were mortified by Mandroid, horrified by Helidropped, and left clueless by Night Games 2. This week, we continue our look at the games in April 1988, along with what was also going on in the UK Albums chart that month. So Graham, inform us of the order of events for this week. In this newly opened local chip shop, cash only and serving new potatoes, with chips available in small, medium and silla black size, battered cod, turbot and clownfish, but only if you pre-order, sausages available in regular, jumbo and good lord sizes, and of course, cartons of barbarian brown gravy, mushy peas and stacks of overpriced buttered buns of an episode. We head to the stadium, grab our pads and helmets and prepare for some solid 8-bit gridiron action in the brilliant hand-egg world of 4th and Inches, Blast crazy in every direction in the utterly confusing and jerky space hoover related nonsense of Thundercross, and politely ask Bob for a P, then possibly ask if he's BC, <clears throat> in the TV game show turned 8 bit game of Blockbusters. If you've crunched your way through your grit burger and chips and feel like you need a knockoff Panda Pop Cola drink to wash it all down, we also dive back into the earth threatening shenanigans of the dastardly Mekon, this time fending off his roided up Supertrine army in Dandare 2, gasp in utter pingy character graphic horror at the bewildering thrice released physics anomaly shite of Snook and Pool, head to the Cybernetica galaxy on a mission to kick the evil emperor's butt in the good looking but troubled Task 3, before taking the pace down a notch, grabbing our overalls and heading to the warehouse of puzzles to move some important boxes around in very specific ways in the interesting Sokoban. Is it my imagination or are the games? getting better some decent titles appearing at last of course there is still the odd flake of turd but there is improvement 
Uh, that could be all right, I guess. That could be. Yeah, there, could, could be there could grand be some that. okay stuff there, I guess. It's, it's right good that. Right good. <laughs> we don't know yet. I mean, or do we? Is that how time well, I, works? I think I don't it will know. be. Oh, Percy, love Percy, P- Percy, Percy, love Percy, love. Percy. Oh, good Lord. All right, yeah, just got to stuff this at the start. If you wish to support the podcast, you can do quickly. If you wish to, put down whatever you're doing right now and go to patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. Sign up. It's all good. There's loads of things going on. It's a good on. idea, that. It's a real good <laughs> idea to do that. It was this week's weekly challenge was to see if you could get out the uh, out the Earth's orbit in Apollo 18. <laughs> no one did that. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody, Nobody history has done it. Nobody. <laughs> I neutralized that electro scan. Um, it's £4.50 if you wish to sign up for that, or a pound just to support us. Zap to the past. Uh, patreon.com forward slash zap to the past there you go that's that out of the way it's been a strange week uh should we get on with some games that is the plan let's do it do it, it. Is. let's do it we've got seven games to come up so let's get into the first one and that is fourth and inches nine pound 99 it's got 90 percent. was a sizzler a sizzler sizzling so fourth and inches this comes from those boffins at accolade and it's another american football game that's as it was known over here it's just football over in america i guess and is it known as american football everywhere else from america no what's it known as in like australia or Sweden? hand egg <laughs> oh yeah we've already discussed this haven't we yes we have <laughs> Have a game of hand egg, yes. Um, so yes, another American, another hand egg game in the shape of fourth and inches. This was coded by Bob Whitehead with graphics by Mimi Doggett and Richard Antaki. It's got music by Ed Bogus. We've seen those names before. Bob we Whitehead have. is an interesting figure, you know, in the early days of video games. I've noted down he started at Atari in 1977. He made the first home versions of baseball and American football with Home Run and Football, respectively. And then he left to form Activision with other ex-Atari staff. Wow. So, so, yeah, he was part of the David Crane lot, and he was one of them lot. Uh, after making games there for four years or so and helping to develop their internal development system, which all Activision games used, he left with Alan Miller to form Accolade. And going back to his roots, he made just two games on the C64, Hardball, so he made Hardball, um, oh. and Fourth and Inches. Then he became okay. VP of the company, and he never coded anything ever again. <laughs> he never made Tragedy. any of the games. I know. Tragedy. Such a waste of talent, as this guy knew how to get excellent stuff out of the C64. Anyway, there you go. A bit of a history lesson. Anyway, this is another American football game. And we've covered a number of these already, haven't we? We've had loads of these before. So yeah. I'm not going to go over the base American football. You either know it or, you know, you know how to play hand egg or you know, you don't. Know. And I'm not going to go over the basics because there are no basics. <laughs> it's a very no. complicated game. It's quite complicated. It's yeah, just, when you, know, you get you into it. The it's, basics, all, yeah. it's, just, it's just lots of men with an egg. That's true. Yes, yeah, so a leather egg. <laughs> Don't look over it, whatever you do, ever. <laughs> Don't look over Don't look the over leather egg. egg. Oh, the the, the, the hook guy, he's always looking over the leather exactly. egg. Exactly. Snap- well, Is he the snapper? Yes, that, let's just call him that. And also, because he's always the one at most risk of being impregnated by an exenomorph <laughs> from another world. That's just true. Just a hazard of that job. It's only his job it description. Is, it is, it's true. It's a very, very t- singular type of person who uh, you know applies for that well, role. He's an egg looker. He can never not look over the egg. So. <laughs> an egg looker. That's his job. <laughs> About this job you got, it says uh, egg looker. That's what you are. <laughs> now, now get looking at that egg. <laughs> What's the uh, career prospects? Slim. <laughs> slim. Slim to, slim to none. Have you heard of the term xenomorph? No, I've not. Okay, it's good. You're all good. In you go. <laughs> you go. Let's look over the egg. <laughs> this one's all wet. Oh, don't, definitely don't look over that one. Why did that even get in there? <laughs> Them computer humans have been in here. Oh, sorry, artificial people. Get out, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> Told you before, get rid of your, none of your magazines here. Sorry, anyway, <laughs> you were saying. Down, I, I. 
Anyway, once the game loads, um, and it's a single load disc, which is nice to see, even if it's a bit on the lengthy side. <laughs> <laughs> we can see that this borrows a lot. You're doing this on Arbol. purpose. What? You're doing that on purpose. A doing game what? called Fourth and Inches on the lengthy side. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> not okay. At all. Okay. Uh, that's just your mind. Uh, <laughs> we can see this borrows a lot from Hardball. <laughs> <laughs> With the title screen being a huge ball in the centre, just like hard balls. Mitchell, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the game's name on it. I'm not making any of this up. Oh. It's exactly what's there. The, uh, then you get a simple options menu. It's got an inspirational quote at the top. I, I didn't write it down, but some kind of quote at the top. Uh, we can change the length of the quarters from 5 to 10 to 15 minutes, and we can select which of the two teams we would like to play against, the, uh, play against the computer or whether to play two-player. The teams here are the all-pros versus the champs. So not much change here from Hardball, because in Hardball it was the all-stars mm. versus the champs. That's the all-pros right. are in blue and the champs are in red. And once you've selected what you want, what you want, the game is underway. You're quickly told who is kicking off, who is receiving, and the main game appears. So structurally and sort of screen layout wise, this is identical to hardball. So if you spent any time with that, this this kind of you know this should be really second nature. The main part of the screen uh, shows a section of the field. So this is kind of top top left, I think, a main the main chunk of the field. Oh, it's the main top top half of the screen. It shows a section of the field with players on it. At the bottom, you've got two options windows: one in blue and one in red. It's color code to which team, whether you know whichever team you're you're controlling. In these windows, you have options for the play at that time. Uh, and each play is accessed by moving the joystick uh, in the direction of the arrow next to it and then pressing fire. So it's very similar, really, really similar to hardball. So, for example, once you've kicked off and that is over, and if you're in defense, you've got the option of a 3-4, a 4-3, a flex, a nickel, or a short. I hope you know what all those mean because I all makes really, perfect sense to uh, me. I didn't really have a clue. If you press the control in the direction next to these, bring next to these and press the fire, it brings up a sub options for this play, uh, and you select that, and then you can then uh, pick who you wish to control when that play kicks off, and then it goes off. It goes. It's exactly as like I said. It's exactly like the system used in hardball where you pick left direction sliders, fastball, whatever. It's it's, kind of, it's the same thing. So. Um, and, and it marries what this does is like hardball it marries both the coach and the playing together so you're both coach and you're a player because once the play starts you're in control of the player that you selected uh, controlling them freely and directly with the joystick as you try and block or inter intercept or just generally get in the way or if you're in the attacking whether you're running with the uh, quarterback whether you're throwing whether you control the catcher everything you control the person who needs who need to be in control with and this is good so so if you're like I said if you're in the offense uh, the play starts you control the quarterback until you pass it or you pass it to the runner to have a to have a run with whatever it's all it's really intuitive it plays very smoothly and just kind of works as you expect it to and in this respect i think this feels much more like a modern sports game than previous attempts we have seen this feels like madden it just feels like one of those you don't have to worry too much about knowing what the play means as they're all given kind of brief description uh, descriptions in the instructions and i think we've got we might have a link to those instructions so we can find um and after a few plays you soon get the hang of it so it's nice and simple it's fast and you want to as well because this plays well it probably easily i think the best american football game we've seen so so far the visual display of the game is impressive as it features all 22 players that's 11 from each team on screen at the same time all fully animated and drawn 
pretty well. You know, Mimi Doggett did uh, Hardball. She did Lore of the West. It's a you know these are you know a good graphics artist has done this sort of thing. And although they're a little bit blocky, they're, they're animated well. They work. You know, they look like American football players from the side, and it, it just it, it works. There's no sprite flicker. There's no glitching. There's no slowdown. It's all smooth. It's really good. You know, at first you you didn't really have that wow factor that Hardball packed because that was you know looked amazing. But on closer inspection, this is just as impressive in what it is getting out of the machine. The one odd thing. I mean, you kind of get used to it. The game doesn't use scrolling, so it doesn't scroll anyway. It uses kind of a, it uses a flick screen technique, which on paper sounds awful, but the speed at which it happens works fine here. It's, it's almost instantaneous. As soon as you move from one screen to the other, it's like you're in. It's like oh, and once you kind of get used to that and you know exactly where your player is going to be, you just it, it doesn't make any difference. It just seems to work really well. There are some really good extra touches throughout. When you take any kick in play, like a punt or a field goal, you have to tap the fire button just as your player reaches the ball or it won't be accurate. When you score a touchdown, the defending player does an angry dance while the f- offense does a victory one. Um, you can call timeouts whenever you want by pressing the space bar. You can swap out one player for another. There's loads of stuff you can do in this. And uh, although, yeah, it's just one-on-one, but it's just a, you know, so there's no league mode, which we've seen in some other ones, but eh, who cares? This just feels like a slick piece of game making. And you can see that they realized that hardballed work and they did the same thing for American football. And as I already said, this feels like one of the earliest examples of a modern take on the sport. I'm not a huge American football fan, but nor am I a huge baseball fan because so like, but like hardball before it, this had me playing several games against the computer. And there was a, there was a great sense of satisfaction from scoring a touchdown or even just making it to the next like first and 10. It was, it was good getting completing passes, getting a run around the side. It just feels good. And there was a, you know, you felt like you were achieving something and this this played a mean game of football. I enjoyed myself. It's a great example of what the machine can do in the right hands. And I have to say, it's a shame that he never programmed anything else after this. I mean, he just did came along, did hardball and the best of American football games and walked away. It's like a mic drop moment. This was really good. Flurry is only its 90%. It's just a really, really good American football game and easily the best we've seen so far. Um, if you didn't get it, I really enjoyed this. What about you, Graham? Yes. Finally, we get to the best of the American football or football if you're American or hand egg. And we finally get to the best of those. The brilliant, but unfortunately named to some degree, fourth and inches. <laughs> All you've got to do is put Penthouse video Video presents in front of that <laughs> changes the whole dynamic. Anyway, um, so obviously the title refers to um, the idea of, of you know being inches away from getting in the fourth down, and when you're playing in American football, so all good. Contextually, this is amazing. Really looks the part. I really like this. Some really interesting parts. I mean, I won't go over it too much because you've kind of got, you know you've got over all the all the same things, and for all the same reasons, I think it's brilliant. There's just things I really like. Just getting into this was fast. Mm-hmm. Didn't you know we've played games of these sports types where there's nine million options to get into the game, and that actually isn't really what this particular game is either about at the actual physical level um it's not like that this is a tactical game but you decide the tactics in the play and this really captures that really really well the control system for that is brilliant really brilliantly simple controls here um and like you said they're, they're a legacy from hardball but they've learned the lessons from that you compare this to some of the other games that we've played that are american football games and this one is just you in you choose your play you, and you you go and you, you can even even sort of experiment because the and some of them were found that the um play affordance was too much some of them are too option heavy i think this one's got the balance just right it was really ace to get into this back into this i loved it back in the day and i always 
thought to myself, there's not, what can you not like about this game? Unless you, I mean, obviously you've got to like American football to a degree, but even then, like you said, there's actually a bit of, I think there's a different direction for this. They haven't tried to simulate all of the nuances. They've tried to just make it a fun game to play in terms of the sport. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a different tack to play. You're not actually choosing all the different players. It doesn't matter um, whether you've got the star players. This isn't linked to the NFL, obviously, because that would be, as we've seen in the Super Bowl 20, whatever it was, um, prohibitively expensive to include all the teams, it would appear. So, but you know, you make of that what you will in this. It doesn't matter. If they had have added a league to this and those kind of things, it would have been a bit of a heavier payload in terms of the disc, I guess. But it would have elevated this to have been easily, a, you know, a gold medal standard, crazy good game. It doesn't have that, but that doesn't matter. It's still silver medal here, I think. I, I loved this. I loved it back then. So much variety, so much fun, enjoyable to play, not a glitch in sight. That's what you want from a game. That's mm-hmm. what you want, especially in a game like this. And I'll tell you what, I was doing some brilliant passing plays. I play a mean defensive game on fourth and inches, I'm telling you as well. <laughs> I, I got because I was always I always liked this one. It was a game I would always go back to. Um I really enjoyed playing it back back then. Obviously, I had a huge gap between playing it then and now, but it was so easy to get into this. Within minutes, I was back being able to run the yards, do the plays. You know, I just enjoy, I enjoyed being part of this experience. And it just captures that. It captures that essence of what makes these kind of things really good in a way that some of the others haven't. The Super Bowl one nearly did if you hadn't been playing it from 5,000 feet above the earth. But this one <laughs> yep. cap- captures it. And I tell you what, all those sprites on the screen, it made it look simple. We've played games where there was they seem to struggle with one sprite on the screen. Yeah. So having all of that on the screen, fair 20, play to Accolade. 22. It's amazing. It's amazing to look at. And, and as you say, there's, look, the fact that it flips, you wouldn't even notice. It's so brilliantly done. Clever, clever stuff. Easily the best American football game. One of the best sports games on the C64. And I think to top it all, I think this is one of the ones that was the tip of the spear for the direction these games would end up going. Yeah. So as, you, as you've rightly said, I absolutely love this game and I've really enjoyed going back to it. What an opening to the podcast. Brilliant, brilliant brilliant game mm. love every minute of it just as a, an addition in November 1988 the uh, Accolade released the 4th and Inches team construction disc um, oh, wow which allowed you to it's a companion disc so as long as you had the original disc you could just going off Moby Games here you could create any team any type of player for your game you can create the ultimate player, assign all the stats, sizes, playing characteristics of each of your Force and Inches players. So pick wow. real-life pros against team, made up your friends, name your team, choose the jersey colour, save it to disc, and off you go. There's loads of options by the looks of it. So they, they obviously gave that... Because, you know, you've only got two teams. So here you go. You make up your own stuff. And How brilliant is that? Yeah, that came out a little bit later, a little bit later in the year. But just really clever. It's just a really good game. You yeah. know, just a solid, yep. solid, you know, in the in the hands of a programmer like what he was, because he was doing all clever stuff as well on the Atari and things like that. And obviously has a penchant for sports, but, but Bob Whitehead, yeah. but. And yeah. I tell you what, the uh, the when you're playing the computer in this, it's not a pushover. You're not no. you're not just going to get away with trying to run around like you can in that silly Super Bowl game when once you got past the sort of defensive line, you was able to just leg it. Um, that doesn't work this way. They close down on you. They t- predict your plays. They anticipate the play. If you're in the defense, if you're playing the offensive line, they, the defense is really good. They will try and do sackings as well, which is brilliant to see because that's the only version of this uh, on any system where I've seen that other than the modern systems where you can do, where they'll try and sack your quarterback. And also you can get away with trying that yourself i really 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 enjoyed this so fabulous stuff really good really good and like you say what a crazy thing that he didn't do another game maybe he just thought well what can i do now fifth and inches i don't know yeah i read it i've got a link i read an interview with him so i sort of did doing some digging around and he just went yeah, I just became VP and that was that you know just helped out and then got into other stuff He's he never... got trapped in a cave for a while and then <laughs> for some <laughs> reason just said uh, he was just talking about his precious a lot after that <laughs> I wonder what, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't even know where to go with that. 
<laughs> it's like okay, yeah. He's just, just got a, a really, really uh, sort of stinky American football. My precious, it's just <laughs> it it. stinky finger. Then for some reason, I don't know why. No, your brain is in the gutter tonight. I know it's awful. It's a game called Fourth and Inches. What do you expect? <laughs> okay, should we move on? Should we? Should we, I think, should we, I think uh, we have to. Should we call time on this? Yes, that's you know, I think we should. I think it's the end of the fourth quarter. Let's move on to our, our next game. Really good. Balls and Inches, excellent. Uh, and Graham, this is one for you. And I'm sure you're in... This has got a great title, Thundercross. Thundercross. Well, it was a great title. And then you realise it's from CRL. And you oh, go, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Oh. Well, we know what that stands for, right? So this is uh, designed by Clement Chambers, Jeff Lee and John Law. There's so many names attached to this. It defies belief. Graphics are by Martin. Is it? <laughs> is it? No, is it, it is Martin, is it? Yeah, Martin, is it? Is it? Additional graphics, Jeff Lee, uh, Jared Derrett. I'm sure they're just blending their names together now. And John Law. Music and sound effects are by Jay Derrett. And the program is by Jeff Lee. Okay, that's uh, they're, they're, collectively they're called The Zen Room. So make of that what you want. Oh, yeah, they do loads of stuff for CRL, don't they? Seen their name on loads. Yes, they do. They do. They do. Okay, so Thundercross. Um, I'm going to read you the uh, the the back of the box, as it were, because uh, I think it's worth reading. <laughs> yeah. So Thundercross. At first, it was imperceptible, just a small drain on the engines. The engine room couldn't explain it, and being so small, didn't bother to try. Not a great advocate of engine rooms. It started to get worse. The engine lost thrust, but not power. <laughs> what? Okay. Um, it's as if something is pulling us back, reported the chief engineer. Then, from the depths of space, a squadron of unidentified craft sped towards the Thundercross. The main monitor flashed on. It's a tractor beam, Captain. And at the rate of deceleration, it will soon be dragging us towards its source. Power to maximum. All hands prepare for battle stations. The captain watched the approaching craft on the sensor panel. Whoever they are, he thought, they picked the wrong bunch of bananas. <laughs> I have no faith in this, Captain. Right now, I'm telling you, I'm like, oh. <laughs> just so that's like a Boris Johnson line. Yeah. They exactly. picked a wrong sort of ba- uh, bananas. <laughs> they picked a wrong bunch of bananas. <laughs> the Thundercross was the most powerful galactic dreadnought in the galaxy, captained by someone that refers to the enemy as a bunch of bananas. I would worry about that. But would the fleet and its mothership be its nemesis? Eh? <laughs> Hey, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense, that, does it? No, not really. So, oh, God, this is a shooter up, side it's scrolling. It's side, vi- side Starfield jerky scrolling shoot 'em up. You're basically in a spaceship that has the has a really odd control system. <laughs> you fly this bloody thing around. I don't quite know how to describe this really, but you fly, there's a Starfield in the background. You're flying your spaceship around and when you press your fire button, that freezes it in space and then you can push the direction upwards to shoot bullets in several different directions, but predominantly up or to the right or down or to the left. So you sort of shoot in multi-directions for some reason. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I can ascertain from this and from obviously from that little playlet that we had at the beginning is that your firepower in increases during the game so shooting the aliens because you're attacked by alien sprites in you're just attacked in that kind of side scrolling way you'd expect and the raised parts of the space hoover <laughs> increases your score according to the threat posed space hoover <laughs> what are they talking about i don't know <laughs> Additional guns shoot relative to the direction aimed by the joystick. Okay, so when you shoot, you don't just shoot one bullet, you shoot several, uh, uh, assuming that you don't take damage. Failure to destroy enough of the space hoover. (laughs) What space hoover? (laughs) Uh, Will result in death by inhalation. 
What are they talking about? This has definitely got the hallmarks of significant quantities of weed being smoked when this was being proposed or whatever, because this is literally making no sense to me. I don't know if it made sense to you. Shield power increases during the game. No, it doesn't. She, then it says, when shield power is lost, death is inevitable. Shield power decreases during the game. Yep. Oy, oy, oy. Anyway, so that's that. you've got to make of that premise what you can. This scored a whopping 16% in Zap because they, like me, were confused beyond belief. But they were just predominantly saying, uh, we're very sick of this kind of thing. So I would agree, uh, this was horrible. It's a clearly a broken attempt at some kind of a side-scrolling shoot-em-up. I mean, at its heart. It's got a really janky title screen with really ear-splitting sample-heavy music. It's really unpleasant to the ear. Um, yeah. It's got a really weird, as like I said, a really weird way. If you move the kind of your ship, the ship sprite is actually quite big. So you're moving this around this sort of janky star field, getting attacked by the most random alien patterns, such as you could call them a pattern. Some things I think you're meant to collect, but it wasn't really clear if that's, if they, if that's what they were. I instantly got hit by something the second I even started the game. I'm not even sure what that was. Just instantly a whack. I was like, what? Okay. Um, and so the logic is a bit weird. Um, and also I noticed <laughs> when it starts, you've got a high score screen and then so you press fire and that then takes you to another screen which you then have to press fire to start the game so you've got like a double fire to start the game it's like press the button okay it's just weird that you do that anyway it's all a bit nasty i didn't like the jerky scrolling starfield i don't think there's any excuse for that but it sets the tone for that because when you start the game jerky scrolling starfield is a thing and you're gonna see yeah like, uh-huh. jerky stars no one wants that. Um, <laughs> no, and the, I suppose the only thing you could say, the actual, as much that, as the is spaceship... That another, is that another is, porn title, by the way? <laughs> Jerky Starfield. Sounds like somebody <laughs> would be in it. I suppose the sprite itself, the main sprite, is like a, um, I guess you'd call it a spaceship. And it's actually the most okay thing in it. Now, that's not saying a lot. You know, I mean, this is this isn't... This is graphically challenged at best, but it's the best thing out of the crap that's in it. Um, and the way you control it is a bit weird, but it's pretty big and it's kind of a base relief kind of look. Um, and you move it around easy enough in that sense. Um, but when the directional bullets start to spew in all the directions, it doesn't feel like it's really shooting in the direction you want it to. It's just kind of shooting in a direction. And it's, it's really weird that is. It's, I don't know why they've done it. I guess this alien's going to come from behind you, I suppose, and they do. But why three bullets? Anyway, questioning the logic of something that's so you know radical is is beyond belief. Really, there's no point. All the while, you've got wave after wave of wasp-like aliens that just harass you. They're just like annoying wasps, just harassing you all the time. I didn't feel like I was progressing anywhere, getting anywhere. Wasn't sure what I was doing. Where the space hoover came into it, I have no idea. No, nope. I don't, I'm not sure. If, am I the space hoover? And if I'm blowing up a space hoover, where is the space hoover? Now, considering how many people are on the credit list for this, what is presented is a load of garbage. It really is isn't very good at full price as well. I remember this is nine ninety five. Goodness me! I you have to question the logic of what on earth CRL were thinking. I mean, this is awful and it's buggy as well. I lost count the amount of twitchy, weird control errors and weird, impossible to avoid enemies in this. There, are, it's just all over the shop. This does not feel like a tangible finished product. I think this is clear. Uh, a game development by committee. So I'm, I'm guessing this has been passed like a hot potato between all these various different people and coders and developers and everyone's chipped away at it. And this is what you've ended up with, you know, this horror of a game. Awful. 16% is far too high for something that costs this much. Terrible, terrible thing, this. I couldn't find a playable game in there. So no. I don't know quite what it is. Did you find a game in there? In no, this? no, no, I did not. What the hell is this? And like you said, how the hell did CRL think it was okay to release it? £9.95. No, it's God, not good. You- You'd really question your life choices if you bought this home. Boring, uncontrollable Morpheus knockoff, because that's what that spaceship reminded me of. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the game, yeah. With bad graphics, bad sound, bad controls, and even though it promises a space hoover in the manuals, no sign of one. Where is it? Where's the space hoover? The thing that I was kind of looking forward to, thinking space hoover, okay, it sounds stupid, but it might give a bit of life. Just 
crap. This where is was terrible. The spoover? Game. Where was the spoover? Yeah. Yeah, where was Space Henry? <laughs> So I was expecting. Where is it? <laughs> Blowing dust into space. <laughs> Roger, Roger, <laughs> Henry. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a terrible game that controls terrible. like ass. Uh, you can shoot in random directions somehow, but shooting stops you dead, and then weapons appear whilst aliens float around terribly. It's all very jerky, with no smooth movement to anything. Even the star field in the back is jerky, and you're far too big to do anything, and it's game over in a matter of seconds where anything really happens, as you're just bothered by some badly drawn green things. Just awful. With a name like Thundercross, you know, like I said, I was expecting something big and epic. That title screen, I know it's brown. Why would you paint? Mm. What? You know, <laughs> there you are in the docking bay. Uh, what colour do you want this uh, massive ship called Thundercross? <laughs> Uh, barbarian brown please <laughs> you sure about that i mean most of my gray or white brown brown please i want i want to be called the float the space turd you're in luck because we have got a whole truckload of that barbarian brown that we haven't been able to get rid of so Absolutely. you can have the job lot <laughs> it's just crazy why would you paint your ship spaceship brown that's why they're saying the song paint it black and not paint it brown <laughs> true I want a spaceship and I want to paint it brown. (laughs) Exhaust ports and a lot, they're all uh, painted brown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I was expecting something epic here. All I got was literally thunder crap. That's literally what this is. Very good, yes. Uh, Awful. I mean, my final comment on this is CRL. There are another publisher that needs to be consigned to the bin at this point. It's like they're trying mm. to take Melbourne House's shit-stained crown from them. <laughs> Absolutely. Good, that, is a, that is a proper battle of the shite, isn't it? Yeah. Melbourne House versus bloody CRL. Goodness. The, you know, the, every time I get one that says CRL on it or Melbourne House, it's like, oh. I mean, I know there's something good from Melbourne House coming up in the next few issues, but at the moment, these two these two software houses knocking this crap out mm. at full price. Yeah. Shot, it's bad. It's really bad. Really bad. Yep. Thundercrap. Which, uh, you know, want uh, Ian Rocky 3. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is. He's Thunder That's what he does when he goes to the toilet. Thunderlips. <laughs> He's off to make a Thundercrap. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets, he gets his uh, wife Thundercross. <laughs> you blocked that toilet again. <laughs> With all your blonde hairs. <laughs> With your big blonde hair and your big banana turds. <laughs> Ooh, Thundercross. <laughs> Thunder lips is thunder cross. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. God, that game's go. so crap. Thunder crap. Really bad. Yeah. Really bad. Don't Let's... play it. We've played that one, especially so you don't have to. Don't yeah. play it. Yeah, don't. Don't. If you're playing don't along do it. with don't the podcast, do it to yourself. And, I, and I know some people are, just don't. Just skip this one. It's Avoid that one. Yeah. Do yourself a favour. Yeah. Oh, let's move on. We've got one more left this part. Let's get into it. Let's move on. Blockbusters, blockbusters, not the uh, 
uh, the place where you used to work, but um, no, no. but the uh, to do with them. the very popular student game show. So Blockbusters, yeah. So this is the C sixty four version of Blockbusters, seven pound ninety five. It's originally created. Blockbusters was originally a US show, created in the US by Mark Goodson and Bill Todman Productions. Oh, um, didn't know so that. That's where it originally came from. Uh, but this version, this version, the C sixty four version, uh, is based on the UK version of the show. The main difference between the shows was that the US version only ran for a couple of seasons and featured adults as contestants. Well, the UK version mm. had sixth form students as contestants. So that was kind of it new did. at the time, new and different. However, even at the time, this was what I started about 93, uh, 1984, I found most of the contestants insufferable. I hated all of them mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you? They were yes, just annoying, yes. annoying, know-it-all teenagers, most of them. I hated mm. them. But I did love the show and I'd watch it on most evenings. It had a proper, it was just it was just good tea time viewing. Very watchable, I liked yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the show ran originally from 1983 to the early 90s. Uh, and is the classic version of the show and is what this game is based on because basing it on the Comedy Central version hosted by Dara O'Brien in 2018 would require some time traveling shenanigans which I don't think the makers of this version were up to so yeah. um, it had have to be on that version so yeah this this was this had a this has come back about four or five times uh, this this show wow. um, anyway this is the version with the digitized likeness of Bob Holness in and it's the second version <laughs> of the game to see digitized C-C4. likeness <laughs> after it was previously converted back in 1984 also by Maxon Software. This mm. version, the all-new, all-seeing, all-digitized version, is also by Maxon Software. Although who exactly they are remains a mystery to this day, known only to those who managed to complete the secret sixth gold run. There you go. Mm. So what is Blockbusters? If you don't know what Blockbusters is, if you've never seen it, and it seems it was in, it got pointed to um, loads of different uh, places, according to the Wikipedia. But Blockbusters is a game played two versus one on a board made up of 20 hexagonal tiles, five across and four up. The aim of the game is to make it all the way across the board uh, with a team of two having to link five tiles from the far left to the far right, whilst a single player must link four tiles from the bottom to the top, and that's how you win a round. Each of the 20 tiles has a letter on it, um, and the game starts with a random tile being selected, and a question is asked with the answer starting with the letter that was on the tile. So, for example, if the letter was B, the question could be, who is the star of the game? Ah, Bobby Monohorn. <laughs> Bobby Monohorn will be the title, and there's a tough time going to the barbers. The side that gets this right then gets to choose the next tile, and the question is asked, and the answer being the letter on that, and so on and so on, until one team has made the link from side to side or top to bottom. That's how you play this. If I remember correctly, the TV was the best of three, I think, wasn't it? I think it was the best yes, of three. Yes, it was. The, uh, yeah, so it was the best of three. So the first to win two rounds went through to the gold run, and the loser was out, replaced by one or two people for the next game, depending on who would, which team had lost. The gold run was the prize board and had more difficult questions with multiple word answers. You had 60 seconds to get from left to right, and if you did, you won a prize. The ultimate was to get the ultimate thing was to get to the get to the gold run five times, and at that point, you won the mega prize because um, the prize has got better with each gold run and it was usually a holiday somewhere on it if I remember rightly mm. usually got to go on holiday yeah. which is quite nice as a student a sixth former getting a student yeah. getting a holiday somewhere so that's Blockbusters and I think all told this version of the old C64 rep- replicates it pretty well you know because it's a simple game and it does it's okay the game starts you've got a choice of six packs of questions to choose from and the game loads them in it's a little bit slow but Okay, yeah, fair enough. And you can change those packs at any time as well between rounds. That's quite nice. I'm not sure how many questions are in each pack, but there are. it says there are hundreds of them here, so yeah, that's all right. The game then asks if you wish to play against a computer or two-player. The one-player mode is not too bad, as you still need to answer all the questions, but if you get it wrong, then the computer wins the tile and chooses the next one, so it's not like the computer buzzes in with the right answer every time. That would mm. be very annoying. You've got to answer everything, and if you get it wrong, then you lose that tile. So I don't think that's, that's, quite, that's not a bad idea, actually, for a single 
single player version of this. In two player mode, you play against another player. Um, I like the way it says that the ones who are going across, they can have a friend help them if they wish. Pops up with a little <laughs> message, which is quite nice, but you know. Mm. Um, and if you're playing two player, you, you are, you're assigned a buzzer from you either F7 or run stop, depending on which one. So as the questions slowly appear, because they appear word by word. So like it'll be like, what is the name? And it'll just appear word by word. And you can buzz in at any point if you think you know the answer even before the full question has appeared. And that's just like the, the show on the TV as well. Um, and then you've got to, if you buzz in, you type your answer. So if you buzz in too early, there's obvious risk here. It's not seeing the full question may hamper your answer. You know, but that's exactly like the TV show. It's all part and parcel of it. If you get it right, you win the tile and you get to choose the next one, get it wrong. And the other player gets to answer it and steal the tile. If both of you get it wrong, then a new question is asked until one of you gets it right. Play continues. This is how it works. And and this is a very, very faithful replica, replication of the TV show. It's exactly as how the TV show works. So fair play. You know, the, the, It's simple, but they've done it. The only thing they've changed here is this version, I couldn't see a way to change it, but it's now the best of five. So the first to win three full games makes it to the gold run. Maybe it's just to sort of lengthen it out a bit, I guess, or whatever. So, and exactly like the TV show, the gold run's got multiple word answers completed in 60 seconds. You have to type them in, so that's quite, it's quite tricky, the gold run. Did you get to the gold run? Quite, yeah, I find it quite hard. It's very hard, isn't it? Yeah. That you, uh, uh, okay. The screen layout is well done. It's got a big, clear board taking up most of it. Uh, the timer and contestants are, are on the right and there's a digitized and animated bob holdness in the bottom right um if you keep <laughs> pressing enter when he wants you to pick a letter he just winces a lot <laughs> it's kind of, he's going <laughs> it's made me laugh quite a lot i was doing it for far too long that i really should have done uh yeah so you know it all works pretty well and it's a good rendition of the tv show one thing of note um that i did like is you do not have to be 100% accurate with your answers. As the game actually says, oh, close enough. So if your spelling's not yeah. brilliant, as long as you're close enough, it'll give you it. And that's a really nice touch. You don't have to be, because what I've read is in the 1984 version, you have to be spot on, accurate spelling. Here it's, mm. you know, they give you a bit of leeway and that's a really nice touch, which I've not seen before. Usually it's like, if you want letter out, you know, yeah, you're done. You, you, yeah. You're done. And it's like, no, but here it's like, yes, yeah, close enough. That's good. And so that gives you, gives you the points. That's good. Like I said, all told, this is a decent take on the TV show. Plenty of questions. Presentation's decent. The music's there, which is nice to hear. It's not brilliant rendition, but it's okay. It's recognizable. The board is there. Bob Holness is there. I don't see what else they could have done to make it any better, really. The use of the keys to buzz in is just like the show. And for a family-type game, this is one of the better quiz titles we've seen because it works in this format, unlike that stupid scruples conversion we saw. You know, When they do board games or these quiz games, some of them are more suited to this kind of format. That scruples one was not. Not. If you wanted a blockbuster game at home in the eighties, I guess this would have easily satisfied you. And I enjoyed my time play. I enjoyed my time playing a few games against the computer and trying to do a gold run or two. I failed at them both because it was dead hard. It does have that thing where the questions are thirty-five years old, so though you know, but it, mm. that's because the game is. So you, you have to bring and bear that. So some knowledge of the time is needed, but you know, I still had fun with this. This was better than I expected it to be. Anyhow, I quite enjoyed my time with this blockbusters. It's a good version of it. It's a decent version of it, and I like blockbusters. So there you go. What about you? It was all right. This. I suppose. I mean, it's blockbuster, isn't it? What's not? That's not nothing bad. Price was quite nice. It looked offset from full price, so all the fundamentals are there. I mean, you can't argue with that. Um, I think my feeling was it perhaps was a little bit dry, a little bit in its presentation. Could have been a bit livelier, or perhaps a little bit, but maybe yeah. It does it. It does what it needs to do. Um, I think my point there is that it doesn't do anything more than it could do. It just does what it needs to do, and then perhaps that's. But if you want to play blockbuster, you can play blockbuster with this, right? I played against the computer, so essentially I was playing against myself, really, and. And I found it quite a good little game to play. I was I went all 
the way through to the gold run. Typing the answers in was difficult at that point, um, <laughs> yeah. I have to say. Yeah. But you know, you 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 would you could persevere, and I think multiplayer this this would have a lot to offer if you like blockbusters. I think you're right. This is actually a, a much better proposition than many of the sort of trivia quiz games we've seen, and because it's just nice and clear and simple. It is a bit forgiving as well. That's very important, dif- you know, difference between this and some others. Um, and while it lacks some a little bit of the sense of not urgency, but it lacks lacks a sense of the dynamic of the actual game. I don't think the digital bob really helps anything in the corner there. But okay, <laughs> it's, it, it sort of links it to the TV show a bit more. I think it's a bit better than the average trivia game we've played, and it's certainly a step in the right direction in terms of the way you play it. And you know, there's plenty of questions to go out. And if you like blockbusters, well, it's it is blockbusters. So there's nothing you, you can't say it's not there because everything from that is there. Even the one player little quirk where you can where you sort of you get it wrong the computer you know can't just jump in that is nice you're not reliant on some daft ai to you know circumvent and beat you to death so i I thought it was all good i think if i were if i was honest if they'd have upped the graphic ante just a little i think it would have fared a lot better in terms of its score i can't help but feel that zach were a bit harsh on this considering i think it doesn't it i think their complaint was that it's a bit plain and a bit you know and i don't know i think my feeling is that there's more going on under the hood with this game than it looks and i think that's the problem with it It doesn't look as complex as it actually probably was to do i think and that's a Good thing in the sense that they've made it simple and easy to get into, but it just lacks the polish that would have really lifted this. Give the give the graphics to somebody that has a little bit more about them, and this could have really lifted it into a you know a better dynamic. But I I enjoyed playing it. What's not to like? It's blockbusters. Blockbusters is always quite cool. So um, be interesting to see what uh, other variants of this come out and stuff like that. But yeah, it was all right. Blockbusters, it was all right. I I wouldn't <laughs> say it was the most amazing thing in the world, but it was it was okay. I enjoyed. I had played blockbusters. What can I say? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, isn't it? It's just. It- it's a decent quiz game and this is it suits this format and it suits yeah, being yeah, a computer. You can't argue with that. No, no argument there. No, you can't. All right, here we go. Um, that's our first three games. So um, that's that. It's this half done. We'll be back. We're going to go take a quick break um, and then we'll be back. Um, we're going to be looking at what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at albums, the album charts from April 1988. So if you're that way inclined to carry on listening, then stick around and we'll be back in a moment. See you no soon. AD, time for a shout out for one of our sponsors' books, Starfarers and Thanians in Space. The protagonist, Deacon, is an unlikely hero caught in a tangled web of treachery, duplicity, and lies. Sounds like a bit like a pilot caught between Lave and Dizzo. One without a docking computer in that, yes. Deacon must enlist the help of allies like the Zenites with their cloaked ships, a space full of unlikely pirates, and a mysterious alien who knew his great-grandfather. This is all starting to sound more and more like some of the Mastertronic cassette inlays we've read. Yes, that is as maybe, but at least it's more Kickstart 2 than Bionic Granny. That's Starfarers and Thannies in Space by David Hearn. Available at Amazon or Book Depository. Also available everywhere as an audiobook. You no, know, it says on the back, it's apocalyptic, character-driven science fiction where the twists keep coming. Sounds just like a weekend spent playing Friday the 13th to me, but what do I know? And we are back. Let's get into some albums. It's always nice to listen to some albums. And in April... 1988 for the first two weeks we were still listening to all the singles 
that we had talked about for the previous three months as we had now that's what i call music 11 on our yes. turntables we said about it last time didn't we that uh, it actually did feature a real good collection of hits so it's, it doesn't surprise me that we're still seeing that there yeah i mean this is probably getting the i don't know because i've not seen a hits one for a while but now is obviously becoming synonymous with where you want your single to be for some extra revenue, I think. But you know what I'd like? I wouldn't mind knowing, actually. And I think for the ne- next time we come across one of these, I'm going to do a little bit more homework. I wouldn't mind knowing what the impact of these albums is on the singles chart, because mm-hmm. the singles must just stop being being bought for a while whenever these things that come out. I mean, they must see their sort of sales figures drop. They go, good Lord, we're not selling any singles this week. Why? Oh, Maybe. Right, now we know. They must have yeah. done. Unless they, they, they've reached a sort of point when the sales were already dropping off, so this is like extra on top. I guess they maybe did. It might be worth logic. looking at what was the most recent song on it and how well it did and whether it was dying in yeah. the charts or whatever. Yeah. Or I, maybe I they know. used it to boost the ones that were doing so well. They, you know, Maybe they didn't do so well on a on their own, but on a compilation with other others, they sold more. I'd be yeah. interested to do a bit of the maths on it and have a look. Well, we know what impact it's having. it has on the album's chart, such a degree where they... They have to create their own compilation chart, don't they? A couple of years. I think we're a couple of years yeah. away from that, but we I think we mentioned that back in like one of our really early episodes, didn't we? We were talking about the first now album that That's came right. out, I think. Shaking Stevens um said that he was going to destroy them forever. <laughs> and then he created a sort of a shield around his house out of plate glass, which he called his um now shield, so that uh, nobody could come near his house with any now albums. Weird, I thought like. he was going to try and destroy them with shaky power. <laughs> Shaken uh, vac. Shake how it. did he not sponsor Shaken vac? How did that not happen? Look, I'm not. I'm going to time travel back, and I'll be a marketing millionaire. <laughs> Maybe he got offered it, but said, it, "How are we going know, to advertise this this product? This carpet cleaning product, Shaken vac. If only there was somebody called Shaking something." Yeah, but maybe hmm. in the background there was a red door, and he took umbrage at that that it wasn't green. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sponsoring this. I can only sponsor something with a green door. I can imagine him doing a version of you do the shake and back and put the freshener. He'd have done a great version of that. Would have haunted him for the rest of his life. As he was throwing it around sort of thing, he could have, he could have done that knee bend that he does. That knee, oh, that, knee yeah, thing. That, he, that he steals off Elvis, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the Elvis knee bend, but it's, yeah. he, he, call, he calls it the knee the knee twist. What is the name of that Different. dance style of his? And What was his style? Shit. Is he, a, is he a teddy boy, essentially? Is that what he was? Is he some kind of teddy boy throwback? Was that the thing? Maybe. You're asking the, you're asking the wrong person. I read somewhere that they were called something like, those type of shoes are the really clumpy soles. They were, <laughs> there was a name for them. What were they called? Not orthopedic shoes, but... <laughs> they, Clarks. <laughs> Clark shoes. They were called something like, um, I want to say, they weren't beetle crushes or something like that, were they? Or something like that? or Some, uh, cat, some uh, brothel creepers or something weird like that they were called. <laughs> carpet creepers. Something like that. You'd have to Google it. I'm pretty sure if you Google brothel creepers, no, be careful. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I know. How, I know. I know how your brains work. You've just worked this in to try and get me to Google brothel creepers and ruin my search engine forever. <laughs> I know no, what you're like. I, know, I wouldn't recommend anyone who listens to this podcast to Google that either. Just ask someone else to do it for you. Get an adult to ask <laughs> to do it for you or something. Or maybe it's yeah. a true Blue Peter tradition. Yeah, ask your partner. <laughs> Somebody out there may have known a teddy boy, may have been a teddy boy. If you do, if you are one, then you'll know what the shoe type was. If you know one, ask them what the name of their shoe type was. And, the, and then just ask them if it was something to do with beetle crushers, brothel creepers, or <laughs> orthopedics. I mean, they must have all, you know, must have been, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm sure they were called something. I think we need to move um, along from this uh, shoe-based <laughs> nonsense. 
and <laughs> uh, get into something else completely different uh, replacing that for one week for the third week of April is the seventh son of a seventh son by Iron mm. Maiden Aye, good album actually in all is fairness it? to him yeah <sighs> Fair enough. Yeah. I'll take your, I'll it's take one of their big it. albums. It's one of their big albums. This. It's. Up there. I think it was one of the ones that went straight to number one. Um, they all did, didn't they? And then they no, all not every. Straight I, no, there's, there's there's significant Maiden albums that did. There's some that didn't, but this this is one of the ones that did. It's got. Uh, it was. They it had one of their big tracks on it, isn't it? And then they toured it extensively. I mean, they must have. They released an album and then they go on a world tour for the next ten million years. <laughs> Because they're just honestly, they they are the most. I mean, say what you want about Maiden and their music, you cannot ever deny Iron Maiden's work ethic. Those guys were like machines. I mean, think like they just something like a hundred gigs consecutively. It's like not back to back. Obviously, that would be quite epic, but. No, it's, I think it's something like a hundred performances of this over a very short space of time. Mad, mad scheduling. It's only got eight tracks on it. That's why they could do it a lot. The only ones I recognise are "Can I Play with Madness." There you go. That's you know, the, big, that was the big hit. So it was obviously their seventh album as well. Just so you know. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I don't know much about mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. I know that singles, and I know that they have bad rhythm changes. That's about all I know. Uh, well, the seventh son of a seventh son is a concept from folklore regarding special powers given to or held by such a son. To qualify as the seventh son of a seventh son, one must be the seventh male child born in an unbroken line with no female siblings born between and to a father who himself is a seventh male child born in an unbroken line with no female siblings born between. Just wow. to tell, we're all clear on that. That's hard. I imagine that's hard to happen. It's impossible to happen. It's also it's like Game of Thrones logic. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so, yeah. So chances of it occurring are very low. In some areas never, of the UK, slightly higher. Yeah, true. Do you reckon there's ever an eighth son of an eighth son? Now, you see, that'd just be a whole different mathematic probability. And <laughs> and we'll just see what the next album's called. Just, just went up <laughs> ninth son of a ninth son. It's like, oh, come on. Oh, come on, Maiden. Come on, Ron. Um, but um, loads of, there's loads and loads and loads of Iron Maiden trivia about all this. I mean, I, you could write a book on it, and they have. There's actually a book called Iron Maiden, um, which is all about loads them. of books on them. There is, yeah. There's the sticker book. You can get an Iron Maiden sticker book, which is quite oh, cool. Oh man, oh god, yeah. you'd, be wanting to, you'd be wanting to swap Nico McBrain, wouldn't you? Quite quickly. Well, to be fair, they're licking, they're licking stick. <laughs> I'm not licking so. Nico McBrain, <laughs> exactly, or, or Steve Harris, or any of them. I'm not licking Bruce Dickinson, any of them. No, that's how no, you stick them. No. If you want to stick them, you got to lick them. It says that on it. <laughs> can I play with madness? <laughs> Yes, the seer uh, did play with his crystal ball or whatever. I know. Whatever if you asked me to do that, I'd be running to the hills. <laughs> oh, God's sake. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. Iron made off. Iron made on. <laughs> Iron made off. <laughs> this is not karate. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Miyagi doing a cover of an Iron Maiden track would be very cool, wouldn't it? It would be something, all right. Uh, Anyway. Um, Replacing Iron Maiden for the final week of April was The Innocence by Erasure. Chalk, say hello to Cheese. Hello, here we are. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You couldn't get more polar opposites than those two albums. No. When I saw those in the line, I was like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Iron Maiden, sweaty metalheads replaced by Erasure synth pop magic i don't know what you describe them as just mad yep third studio album i see is this the big one was this their first was this their, their first number one um uh, i think it might have been it's certainly the one that it's had a, it got a little respect on it on that one so but i actually only recognized two of the tracks on the album which is sort of stands to reason because i think i've only ever heard about six tracks in total from what, Erasure. Erasure? yeah because but this has got you know it's got ship of fools and a little respect on this one i think yeah um, 
it's not yeah there's not much on it is there looking at the track well no you see that's the thing isn't it no, it's queen yeah. syndrome isn't it <laughs> it's, yeah yes uh, <laughs> you recognize the singles the queen queen are great got loads of good albums have they have they though have they yeah led zeppelin have the same problem you're talking, you're talking about the best of <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've got loads of best ofs it's like zeppelin's best album was the one with the uh sort of alien patterns that these supposededly aliens did in the fields i can't what it's called but oh, it's the best uh, of led yeah. zeppelin Essentially, zeppelin remastered wasn't it was their yeah. biggest album i think and that's because yeah. it's all a hits album of all yeah exactly of all the ones yeah exactly good stuff but yeah there you go erasure it's got a little respect on it so it's always going to be good because a little respect is a brilliant brilliant yes, single it certainly is proper practice proper, your, uh, you can practice your uh andy bell dance all you want andy there. bell the andry bell Ben dance yeah do yep. yeah i, I try it. to discover <laughs> yeah very good <laughs> is that with added vibrato <laughs> yeah he, well, he does the, doesn't he? he does have his old vibrato going on that guy he does he's got a proper uh turkey throat he is a warbler he is he's always outside my house in the morning <laughs> he was born a warbler and he'll die a warbler <laughs> oi bell get out <laughs> bell get your get your warbling bloody throat off my fence <laughs> told you about that <laughs> stop imitating a trim phone you bloody fool get out <laughs> Uh, third of, <laughs> all right, back to albums. From third of April, then straight in at number two, couldn't get, couldn't knock now off its perch. Was Push by Bros. Come on, you you making these up? Well, push number two. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to push a number two. It's exactly what they did when they made this album. Let me tell you, awful. Yeah, sometimes you really do have to push a number two, don't you? This is where the, the great lie started to begin in some of these. You know, stupidly produced bands. So because I feel all, like it's over, over, over the great lie. Yeah, because all the songs on this were written by Nicky Graham and Bross's manager Tom Watkins. I didn't know um, that. With Graham composing the music and Watkins writing the lyrics, the pair used the pseudonym The Brothers on it oh. as the writers in order to imply that the songs had been written by the Ghost Twins, which they hadn't, and that the group oh. was not simply a manufactured pop outfit, which they were. What? So the writing credits were to the Brothers, so everyone yeah. would think it was Luke and Matt Goss. Yeah, which it wasn't. It was Nicky Graham and. Tom Watkins. We all would have known that, really, because the ego of Luke and Matt Goss would never have allowed themselves to not have their names against these songs. Yeah, at the time, you know, they were, at the time, I guess. I mean, they were they were just they were very young, and I think being horribly exploited. I think probably um, in their defence. Um, in his autobiography, Watkins described how he had deliberately come up with the song titles and lyrics that the teen market could identify with, such as "Drop the Boy," being about a youth asking to be treated as an adult. Oh, right, yeah. and not a. I had died. Yeah. I always thought someone got, got something that. much darker, but you know. I thought it was about going to the toilet. <laughs> drop the kids off at the P- pool. Push, <laughs> pushing number twos. <laughs> yeah. The album's called Push Number Two, and you're dropping the kids off at the pool. Yeah, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, sending the seals down the slippery slide. <laughs> yes, yes. Barking as they go, yeah. <laughs> Uh, number five uh, is Wings of Heaven by Magnum. Oh, dear me, this. Now, this is another. Now, this is a thing, that, by the way, about this episode. This is another seventh studio album. Oh, God. Yeah, there's loads of these, isn't there? Yeah. Yes, there is. It's weird. Seventh, yeah. It's weird. So this is a seventh studio album. Um, first one to gain critical and commercial success. Managed to get number two in Sweden, number five in UK, number seven in Switzerland, number eight in Norway, and number 19 in Germany. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that was massively critical success, really. <laughs> I don't know. If it was number one in those countries, but I suppose it's good if you're, you know, you're a rock band named after a nice ollie. Yeah, you know, so. Wings of Heaven. Didn't, what was the song? Oh. So didn't they release? We had the single the other week, didn't we? Yeah, we did with the video that was just dodgy, wasn't it? So It wasn't very good. Not Magnum, good. they're just, yeah, poor man's, you know, it's not good. 
It's, it's, no. just a, it's just a fancy chalk eye created by Roger Moore. Why are there not other ice lolly related metal bands? It's Magnum. You could have had um, Fab, Fab, Zoom. Would have been a good one. Um, Orange, I don't know. Mithy. Mithy, yeah, the Strawberry Mithy band. Oh, I'd have, I'd have gone to see them. <laughs> strawberry, the strawberry, the Mithy, strawberry Mivies. Yeah, Strawberry and the Mivies, yeah. Yeah, you could have done The I Feast. to see them. Yeah, The Feast. That sounds like a proper metal band, doesn't it? The Feast. The Feast, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it um, does. What was the one with the, um, what the lolly so much? is ice cream in a sort of plastic container with the chewing gum at the bottom. Ball oh, Screwball. Gum. Screwball, there you go. There's another one. Another one, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. This thing and the old themselves. lemonade. Just lemonade. <laughs> Milk Most pot. disappointing lolly in the world, the lemonade. The, the one if you, if you didn't have much money on you, you could scrape up 10 pence by looking for pennies in the field. <laughs> <laughs> Feel, yeah. You just go around wandering around looking for one and two pences. If you were lucky enough, you'd probably get scraping enough to get ten p together for an orange or lemonade <laughs> lolly. Time. The ice cream man had long gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you obviously don't do it at the time. <laughs> it's ice cream man, quick to just the field. Wait there a minute. I'm back in a minute. <laughs> to the field. I must How long are you going to be up in here for three hours? <laughs> I must scratch up pennies. <laughs> yeah, have it for free. Bugger off. <laughs> Got my metal detector out and everything. I tell you what. I tell you what. I did remember the other day th- thinking about that. I don't know if, if your ice lolly man, whatever you call him, the ice cream van, did this. <laughs> but ours, he, he basically got, he must have just got water and put a food colouring in it and then frozen that into like a plastic cup and stuck an ice lolly stick in it. And then he yeah, sold yeah. them for like 5p, like just like frozen water cup things. It's like yeah. bland, boring. What is that? Blue water. Yeah, I have a blue water. Oh, thanks. <laughs> What's in it? Blue. <laughs> All the blue. <laughs> <laughs> on a hot day it's all you needed when you were a kid yeah. you were happy to have that a good cup of blue well that's, I mean if that's all you could scrape up from out the nearby field who was dropping all this money in the fields what people fields do are you though about? people still do just generally not just fields but you know you could if you went on a bit of a bit of a hunt you could probably find 10 pence if you were looking around or scrabbling about or you could just harass some granny at the shop ah uh, yeah. now the truth comes out <laughs> Well, I wouldn't. I would never do that, of course. But you know, I knew yeah. I knew people that were desperate for lolly lolly money. I mean, it was a <laughs> certain points, in, like you say. Well, it's exactly at certain points in the hot summers. You know, it got a bit crazy out there. That sounds like Breaking Bad. It, was, it is. You know, weapons were were you know out there. People lives were lost. It was uh, shocking, <laughs> water, really. Water pistols at noon. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, there was, there was a cartel. It's a nightmare. <laughs> we had the lolly man instead of the chicken man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cartel. That's what Arthur Daly says to uh, Terry Strong in it. <laughs> Passes a cartel. Yeah. Anyway, yes, uh, there was there was the ice lolly cartel. Don't mess with them. I Don't won't mess with them. Uh, number six, lovely, lovely by the primitives. Lovely by the primitives. Uh, debut debut album from them. Yeah, it is. It's got crash on it. Yep. And not only the sax. It's actually a good album. I've listened to it subsequently. Um, still surprises me that they're British. I don't know why. Yeah, I thought I thought they were Australian. I think. Yeah, but they're British through and through. Yeah, well, there you go. Makes me proud. Number 10, Distant Thunder by Aswad. It's another uh, toilet euphemism, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair, yeah. Especially after today, yeah. In the, mo- in the morning, it's like, <gasps> Distant they Thunder. Want, want too many falafel. <laughs> that, uh, that's what you get, Distant Thunder. Um, yeah, no, I'm not massively into reggae, I have to say, but it's no good denying that it's great stuff to listen to. It is great. It's just not my thing, but it is amazing. It's not that's mine a particularly either. good one. And let's not talk about it because we don't know anything about it. We just annoy reggae. I know nothing this. about it. No. I know nothing about um, it. Number 47, What Up Doc? Or What What Up Doc by Was Not Was. <sighs> 
God. You know, the <laughs> success of this album was based on two of their hits, one of which was Walk the Bloody Dinosaur. I know. And Spy in the House of Love was no better. No, it wasn't. Was not. No, I'm not a fan of uh, Was Not Was. We've spoken about them before. They're confusing. You know, Mr. Was, Mr. Was Not, whatever he was called. <laughs> Mr. Stupid. Not What Was. Not What Was. Whatever um, it is. The video for this featured a band... Um, the band, obviously, and a group of girls in campy cave girl costumes. Very popular on um, TV at the time. I wonder why. I wonder why, I wonder why as well, yes. Uh, number 49. Yeah, I'm not walking that dinosaur, no. Number 49, Destiny by Saxon. Dun, 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 God, dun, 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 how can Saxon release an album called Destiny? It's far too classy. Yeah, and it's their ninth album. Ninth, ninth. studio album. Unbelievable. It's not the biggest surprise of this uh, episode, but that is a surprise. It surprised me that they made it to nine. No, not too bad. Not too bad, I suppose. No, I'm not, not too bad. I'm never know quite what to make of Saxon. Really, they're not. They're not my thing. They're uh, somebody's thing, but not mine. Not mine either. Not I. <laughs> not I. Number sixty-eight. Richard Marx with Richard Marx. Yeah lazy title in it for that it's very lazy title and yeah it's, de- it's his debut album he was quite it a big is. thing for a while wasn't he richard marks yeah uh, he was for hazard his, wasn't it it was his hair anyway yeah i mean i checked out a couple of tracks should have known better um of course everyone's heard of you know hazard i swear i left her by the river yeah that, that one. one yeah and yeah. all that um i never it was never really struck on richard max although the hair in the videos is solid and massive it's, it's <laughs> solid 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 backlit and soft it's just it's like hairspray i mean it's like you could if you touched it, it would crunch <laughs> absolutely really 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 and it doesn't move he moves his head that hair ain't moving at all yeah. it's solid massive hairspray paul hollywood could slice it <laughs> yeah they bake their own hair <laughs> <laughs> too much too much rose for me too much rose water um do you know that he used to be a teacher but he left after he's always asked to do the feedback and grading on students work he was known as richard marks <laughs> uh, uh, uh. oh goodness me <laughs> There we go. No. That's my yeah. joke for the week. Goodness. <laughs> Number 73 is the seventh one by Toto. Yep, their seventh album again. Another one, absolutely. Another one. It'd be amazing if we actually got seventh, seventh albums this thing. No, I don't, I don't think we have quite, quite reached it. I don't think so, not yet. Uh, but then we'd have to do something, I think. Would Something would have to be, I think we'd have unlocked something. It'd be bad. Yeah, so seven studio album by American rock band Toto. Uh, yes. Stop Loving You. Is that yeah, the one we listened track. to the other week? Yeah, great track, that. And there's a great version, I said before. There's a Sid version, which is amazing, really good. Yeah. Go and check that out. And also, I didn't realise how many... I thought there was one Picaro in Toto. Turns out it's three, so... <sighs> What? One on drums, one on synth, one on bass. The bass player is Picaro. There's Mark Picaro, Jeff Picaro, and another Picaro. But Are the Picaros. Yeah. We're all, all right, same I was going to say, because yeah. it'd be good if they were related. Coincidence. Yeah. Such an unusual name, and none of them. Are, oh, you're Picaro. I'm Picaro. Hey, I'm Picaro too. <laughs> we're all Picaro now. Um, but I didn't realize until I looked. I was like, I thought, what does mean? That's a lot of Picaro. And I was right. I was right. It is. <laughs> it is. Some might say too much Picaro. Well, the Picaro. Ratio is high for Toto. So. <laughs> Toto high. Um, <laughs> 10th of April, in at number 39, was Gladsome Humour and Blue <sighs> by Martin Stevenson and the Dainties. Yeah. Did you watch any of it? I, I watched, uh, I listened to like a few bars and I thought, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rockabilly, rootsy pop, rock and punk. You can guess what they sound like just from that description. Yeah. And you'd be right. So Absolutely. no, I didn't, I didn't rate it. Didn't rate it. No. Uh, number 52, there's not much out this week. Number 52, The Essential Carajan. Carajan by Herbert von Carajan. 
Yeah, he's a very famous um, Austrian orchestral conductor. So, Is he? Um, yes, he's uh, very famous, yeah. Okay. So famous, I've never heard of him. Ever, I've, I've never will. heard of him. He's also a conductor of traffic on Cromwell Road. He is. Well, now, yeah. But he does it with such musical gusto, although when he's waving his <laughs> lollipop around, he's very dangerous. <laughs> very, very Smacks, dangerous. He's already knocked six kids unconscious. <laughs> he's, t- he's taken a dinner lady's eye out <laughs> with, his, with his magic concerto stick. Yeah, stop waving that around, you buffoon. <laughs> Karajan! Karajan! Traffic's, traffic's gone everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Your madness knows no craziness. It's not a, you're not essential, Karajan. We can replace you. Karajan. He goes to a Karajan park for an holiday. Hello, I am Bob Karajan. Do you have any static Karajans? Yes, we do. They're over there. They're still over there. I can't move. That'll do nicely. Thank you very much. Seventeenth uh, of April, straight to number one. Seventh son of a seventh son, Iron Maiden. Yeah, we've already said that. Seven. Seven. Uh, seven. Uh, seven. In at number forty-one was "Waiting for Bonaparte" by the Men They Couldn't Hang. Mm, I didn't Wonder listen why. to this. Yeah. Third album. Third. Yeah, I know. Who knew? Nobody did. Nobody, Nobody did. did. Nobody did. No. I suppose no. that it's still not the most shocked I've been by number of albums because that was that belongs to that everything but the girl with their sixth the other the other week. Oh, you well, you wait. You wait. Okay, I'm that's, waiting. That's, that's going to be defeated in this very episode. All right. Uh, and the men they couldn't hang. Did we ever? Did anyone ever know why they couldn't hang them? Um, that now, really interestingly, no, no. It's actually it's like the whole whole part of their shtick is that they sing sort of the one I saw was like a almost like a sea shanty type song and stuff like that. So these are kind of classic. No, ah, hey, ho, and the men they couldn't hang and ning nang and all that kind of thing. So it's a bit not as bad as that, but that kind of thing. <laughs> So they're a bit folksy they got to a kind third of third album if that was the quality. <laughs> well, that, obviously, they got better, but uh, not by much. Not, not by, by much. much. Uh, do you reckon Marty Pello could be hung? Or would the, uh, uh, the no. noose just slip off his neck and face would, yeah. and off? Yeah, he could be hung. No rope can grip him. Um, it says that on his T-shirt. <laughs> Around the neck. <laughs> He's a noose man's nightmare. That's on his other shirt. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> Hangman's worst day at work. Well, the thing is, he can actually stretch his neck to infinity. So if he needs to get out of any situation, he can pick locks with his head. He can stretch <laughs> his head so thin he can just pick a lock. So he can, it's, the, it's the pillow lock pick. But, um, you know, just don't, don't tell everyone that. Why would he need to pick that. locks with his head? <laughs> why? Because he can. Uh, true, no, I why, suppose. You know, that's the, re- the whole reason he keeps his neck limber. In case he sort of comes home a bit worse for wear, bit, forgot, yes, lost exactly. his keys, he can get in. That's it. He goes all the way to the side of the road, stretches his neck out fits with a thin polymer-like stretch. <laughs> Couldn't he just slip through the keyhole? No, like a, no, no. Like a, no, like a gross Lloyd, Lloyd what's-his-face? No, because the rest of his body remains the same size. It's only his head that goes thin. Oh, right, okay. So yeah, the risk of him getting his head stuck is very high. Well, that's the Pello way. That's also where he lives. <laughs> Pello way. <laughs> yes, Pello way. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, Number 63 is The Greatest Love Songs by Placido Domingo. Well, if anyone's going to know a good love song, it's Placido Domingo, isn't it? Yeah, but if that's all he knows, he's going to be useless in a pub quiz unless that round comes up. Exactly, and he's very loud, Placido Domingo. Very loud. (laughs) Next up, round seven is The Greatest Love Songs. I know this! You're not being very placid, considering that's your name, you bloody idiot. Get out. Absolutely. Pavarotti walks in. Those two have a stare off, a voice off. Placido, Placido, Domingo, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Domingon. 
He's gone. Thank God. God, he's so loud. Where's Plusy the gone? He <laughs> Plus he don't. He dumb out. <laughs> Plus he don't. Get out. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. 24th of April. Straight in the board, The Innocents by Erasure. Yeah, about them. that's be said. Number nine, Barbed Wire Kisses by the Jesus and Mary Chain. B-Sides compilation. Yeah. Pfft. I'm a bit fed up with these by now. I didn't like them at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Number 24 is Remember Your Mind by Foster and Allen again. We've seen Foster and Allen more than any other act, I think. We've seen them loads of times. They released a whole ton of stuff. Now, interestingly, I've put the track list in for this in our little show notes. Okay. But some of those tracks are imposters. Can you identify the imposter? Okay, so if it's real, I'll say Foster. And if it's false, <laughs> I'll say Allen. Fair enough. Okay. Silver Threads Among the Gold. I'm going to go with Foster. Is Foster real? Foster is real, yeah. Yes, that's correct, yes. Right, the Wild yeah. Rover. That's Foster. Correct. The Winds of Willy Wayner. <laughs> that's got to be Alan. <laughs> that's an Alan. The Hills of Connemara. That's a Foster. Foster. Ferry to Mackenzie's. Uh, Alan. That's a fakie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the First House in Connaught, the Donegal Reel. Uh, that's a Foster. Uh, it is. From the candy store on the corner to the <laughs> chapel on the hill. I'm going to say that's an Alan. No, that's a real one. Ah, oh, first one I um, got wrong. The Stone Outside Dan <laughs> Murphy's Door. <laughs> that's an Alan. That's a real, that's a real oh, one. Oh, no. Ewan's arms were too heavy. <laughs> that's an Alan. That's an be. Alan. Old Steplin's half real. I'm going to say that's a Foster. That is a Foster. I'm, I can't actually remember now. I'm going to forget which one's I've done. <laughs> the Mountains of Morn. Uh, that's a Foster. That is. Rose of My Heart. Ah, oh, that could be. I'm going to say, I think you, that's an Alan. No, that's a, that's a real one. All oh, right. The Wheels on the Bus. <laughs> Foster, that's, that's an Alan. I know it's, it's a, a real track, but if it's the wheels on the bus go round and round, I don't think they've sang it. So I'm going to say Alan. They know? Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm saying Alan. <laughs> That's a fakie. Drunk as a fiddler's bitch. <laughs> Alan. They would That's never swear. My lovely Rose of Claire. Foster. That's a Foster. On the Mountain, Tobin's favourite. Foster. That is uh, is a Foster. Don't be nicking me roses. <laughs> That's a UB40 song. <laughs> you rat in the kitchen. <laughs> That's an Alan. <laughs> That's an Alan. Red River Valley. Foster. Uh, that is a Foster. The Ballad of Dawn Run. Foster. Yes, and Sorrento Thoughts. Foster. That's it. You did well. You only got one wrong there. Well yeah, done. Yeah, there you go. I can spot my Fosters from my Alans. <laughs> so, yes. Just to say, by the way, that the Alan thing has reminded me of someone, which I can't believe we didn't do this in our Predator review, and named all the characters Alan, which someone did on our Discord, um, which made me laugh loads, because the name Alan Billy... <laughs> <laughs> had me laughing my head. <laughs> yeah, all so the Alan, Alans. Alan Mack, Alan Blaine, Alan Poncho, Alan Hawkins, Alan Dillon, Alan Schaefer, and then Alan Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Billy. <laughs> right, yeah, I suppose he could be an Alan Billy. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because that's one of the uh, – made me laugh quite <laughs> well, a lot. A thriving community is what we've got in there. Funny, <laughs> funny bunch they are too. Yeah. You could be part of that. You can be part of that. Go back to the beginning, listen to that bit about the Patreon, then come back. There you, you go. do. Alan yeah. Billy. <laughs> Number 56. Two more left here. Number 56. This Notes for You by Neil Young and the Blue Notes. Hmm. Okay. 16th studio album. 16th? 16th by Neil Young. 16th album 16th. by Neil Young. Jesus. I only no. remember the one about taking meat with you and where he lays his ham. There's only two I remember. Where he lays his 16 ham? 16th album. Yeah. Where, where, where. No, so you've got um, every time you go, always take a meat with you. And then you've got... Wherever I lay my ham, that's my home. <laughs> Are you confusing Neil Young with Paul Young? Yes. <laughs> that's a deliberate strategy. <laughs> I've been looking at that going, eh? 
just like, taken me ages to get that joke. <laughs> God's sake. I'm off back to my Richard Marks one. <laughs> <laughs> no, Neil Young is, of course, the guy that did Colours on the Street, Red, White and Blue and all that, didn't he? And, he did. He's very... Uh, uh, keep on very, rocking in the free world. So he's very, still got... Stompy, lank-haired, uh, you know, agit rocker. Politically outspoken, I think, is one of those phrases people use about him nowadays. Yes, they do. But yeah, I really wish we did write a song called Where He Lays His Ham, That's His Home. It would fit more with did. Neil Young than Paul Young. Yes, exactly. Because well, I could say God, Neil Young li- liking a nice ham. The idea of there being 16 albums by Paul Young is a crazy thought. It's terrifying. It is. But, you know, be stinking uh, yeah. at the charts every week. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Be <laughs> stinking at the charts every week. Go away, Young. Stop releasing albums. Get out. God's sake, ra- nobody wants your bland of happy core, whatever you call it. No, no one wants it. You're like a poor man's Nick Berry. Oh no, it's not. Yes. Actually, that's that's mean. It's not that bad. Poor man's Nick Berry. Goodness me, that's poor man's take stolen down. hat. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Berry. Uh, yes. And finally, in at number eighty-two is "Guitar" by Frank Zappa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live right. album. You've written here. I'm just going to make sure I've got this right. It's the follow-up to 1981's Shut Up and Play Your Guitar. Like the album, it features Zappa's guitar solos excerpted from live performances recorded between 79 and 84. Correct. So this album is just guitar solos? Yes. What? <laughs> what? It is, yeah. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Can I just have an album of guitar solos? You can, and he did. <laughs> no. I'm not, I've just hit my microphone. No. I'm not having it. <laughs> yes. Frank Zappa can do what Frank Zappa wants to do. That's one of them. I never, uh, that's, that's kind of blown my mind, but I just don't think that should be a thing. I think it should be outlawed. I'm not, I'm not having it. Well, yes. I don't know how many more of those he did. I mean, it just seems, it does seem a bit obtuse, but yeah, that's straight from the, uh, the web information center, as we like to say. So musical virtuosity and satire of American culture. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the blurb that says about Frank Vincent Zappa is that as an American musician, composer, band leader, characterized by non-conformity, free-form improvisation, sound experiments, musical virtuosity, and a satire of American culture. Okay. And he sings a mean song? I don't know. We never <laughs> never find out because he cuts those bits out. Absolutely. All you get is guitar solos. It's like asking That's the for only a, bit you need to worry about. like asking for a burger and getting no bun. Yes, it is. No. His buns have no seeds. They have no have bun. No lids. His no buns lid. have no bread. No bun, no flour, no, nothing. He's all he's an all meat disc. <laughs> he's an all meat shield. It's all meat shield, that one. <laughs> Frank Crapper. <laughs> That's where he ends up. After, after all that meat. After all that meat he goes for a crap Frank Crapper, yeah. Please tell me there's a sign on his toilet in his house as it's called. It says Frank's Crapper. <laughs> it must be there. If if not, I'm gonna make it for him badly and send it to him. So just write it on a bit of cardboard. Put yeah, it I don't know if he's alive anymore. I think he is. I think he's still alive. I don't uh, know well, he's got he's... a son. Is it Dweezil? Yeah. Diesel? Dweezil Zapper, is it? Zapper? Papa, Papa Zapper? Someone named Zapper should have crapper on their toilet. That's right. I think I think it's the law. Oh, anyway, there we go. That's the albums. It's not a, not a good bunch this month, was it? Snotty, dirty sneeze of a collection, that. Yeah, just bland. Bland with sort of it's, there's too much prog- too many people stinking up with seventh albums and sixteenth albums and albums just made of guitar solos. Exactly. It's it's been a collection. It's like sneezing into your hand and then realizing that <laughs> you you haven't got anything to wipe your hand on, so you're now stuck with like a bogey snot hand and you're like, What do I do with that? What do I do with it? And then you just air dry your hand and you think I'm gonna have to wipe <laughs> this on a wall. Absolutely. Or no, just go up that. and pat someone on the shoulder. Yeah, you could do that. You could be, you know, be, that's the aggressive approach, really. That's no, nice, yeah. though. You do that to, you do that to Marty Pello, he'll strangle you with his neck. 
<laughs> from 17 yards away. <laughs> he could tie his neck into a bow, remember? Very powerful bow. He's like Mr. Fantastic, only he's yeah, not he fantastic. Is. Mr. No, Fantastic. Yeah, only his neck. He's the only person that can make a bow tie out of his own neck. <laughs> uh, while still swallowing a massive cheesy what's it. Remember, he's really just a big knee. That's all he is. It's just a knee head. It's really one big knee. That actually reminds me of somebody, but that's uh, there's another friend of the podcast, Paddy, who will uh, be chuckling his chuckling to himself at the thought of uh, the magical knees song that I've just sang because it will uh, bring back a memory from. I'm not going to explain any more of it than that. Just it's out there now. You don't need to. All right, there we go. That's it. That's albums done. We're going to go away, take a quick break, and we will be back. Uh, we've got four more games still to come, so please stay with us, and we'll be back in a bit. Graham, it's time to chat and chat about one of our sponsors' books, Paddy Go Easy. What happens when you hit and run? Is this like Ocean doing a hit and run job on us, like with uh, Knight Rider back in the day? Pretty much. It hits a cyclist and flees the scene. Ooh, poor cyclist. We didn't see Knight Rider coming either. Yeah, well, he's down on his luck, lost his job. He's sitting there in the pub playing the pokies in Outback Australia while nursing a beer and dreaming of a better life. He'd have had more luck playing Fruit Machine Simulator. Okay, so what happens next? Well, Paddy's got to redeem himself. But what is he going to do when he discovers the cyclist was okay after he left, but someone else came back to finish the job? Mmm, that sounds tastier than burger time. And without the pickles. I like pickles. Don't take the pickles <laughs> off. Good Lord. I like pickles. Anyway, no, Paddy don't. Go Easy. What happens when you hit and run? By David Hearn from Amazon and available everywhere as an audiobook too. And we are back for our final part for this week. And we've got four more games to get through um, before we uh, head off. And so, Graham, you've got the first one of these. Um, and it's another one. You know, you like these. You've said you are partial to this character in the past. So tell us all about Dan Dare 2. Dan Dare 2. Okay. Uh, Virgin Games, this. It's pretty much, I think, the last one was, wasn't it? It was the first Dan Dare was, the, mm-hmm. was Virgin Games, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. Coded by Dave Chapman. Graphics by Alex Martin. Title screen. Martin Wheeler. So from the back of the box, Mekon's Revenge. Um, and for those that aren't sure of the thing, because you may not have caught what it's about, Dander is a archetypal British kind of Air Force hero type guy. Is uh, constantly in battle with a race of aliens called the Treens who are controlled by something called the Mekon, whose one mission is to kill all life on Earth, generally speaking, in dastardly ways. That's the summary of that. Is there a way to do it in non-dastardly ways? Uh, yes, they just do it in sort of diddly ways and doodly and doddly as well. All the diddlies. Okay. Um, so this is Mekon's Revenge. After, so this is obviously the sequel to the first time there. After more than a year's silence, the Mekon stirs again from his hideout in deep space. His ambition to be ruler of Earth has not shaken in its resolve. The Mekon's last onslaught on the unsuspecting inhabitants of Earth was courageously followed by Colonel Dan Dare and his chums. A giant atomic asteroid was propelled towards the Earth. The Mekon's ransom was the precious freedom of the Earthlings or their total destruction. Dan boarded the asteroid and initiated its powerful self-destruct mechanism, escaping just in time to see the asteroid blast into a thousand harmless pieces. This time, the Mekon has instigated immense scientific development and has produced a new genetically engineered race, the Supertreens. He has constructed (laughs) a spaceship to launch his dastardly creations on the Earth. The powers and the abilities of the Supertreens will be many hundred times greater than normal Treens. The population of Earth will be killed or held captive within hours 
if the Mekon is successful in his launch of the Supertrines at just the right distance from Earth. Even before the Mekon jammed all of Earth's communication channels and issued his derisory message, Dan has assembled a full space fleet. And there is only one way to defeat the Mekon face-to-face. Classic Dan Dare setup, that is. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, interestingly, and we'll come to the game and how it plays out, but there are two ways you can play this game. So you can play this game as Dan, Dan Dare, or you mm-hmm. can play it as the Mekon. I yes. really like that. That's a really nice touch for this. So in Dan's mission, there are four levels to the Mekon ship. Each level houses deadly supertrines enclosed in plexiglass life support bubbles. Dan must penetrate all four levels, locate all the supertrines, and sabotage their control boxes before the level destruct sequence scatters them onto the Earth's atmosphere. The destruct countdown, Meconian time, will start the moment the first supertrine control box is destroyed. Dan and his space fleet troops must work quickly and eliminate defending trines blasting computer force field generators to allow further access to each level. When all the control boxes have been shot, Dan will have to reach the passage connecting the present level with the next one. Assuming the door has shut and Dan is safely behind it, he will be protected from the blast and will be able to progress onto the next level. That is Dan's mission, and that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. The Mekon's mission, like Dan, the Mekon, with the help of his trains, must also locate all the super trains. When found, he manually activates their life support control boxes and ejects them into space. Unfortunately, Dan's arrival has already triggered the security destruct sequence, which gives the Mekon less time to achieve his goal and escape onto the next level. This, in effect, makes the game considerably harder and is probably more suited to experienced players looking for an extra challenge. So this is, if you complete the Dan mission, you can have a go at the Mekon mission. I really like that about this. I like that. That's a nice thing. So the setup's mm-hmm. all good. Setup's all good here. So um, this is a decent game, I think, actually. And um, the presentation and the graphics are good. And there's a great sense of fun and flying about. It's fab that you can choose either Dan Dare or the Mekon. Um, I think it adds a nice different mode of play and the game is uh, and adds a sort of different dimension to the fun. There's no doubt this is a tough game to crack, though. Racing around trying to either kill or free the super trains is no easy task and you will run out of time and it goes really quickly because it's in Meconian time, remember? The flick screen levels are cleverly and annoyingly designed with perhaps one too many silly traps, but they all work and they look good. Graphics here are very good. Controllers with the joystick, button to shoot and you can also shoot at doors to open them. The player is affected by gravity here. So you have to fight the controls a bit. Um, think think along the lines of Sacred Armor of Antiriad when you're in the in the actual Antiriad robot suit when you're trying to fly around. It's a bit, you know, the gravity is kind of a little bit punishing fighting you. And there's other games we've played that are a bit like that. Um, so the controls with the joystick, button to shoot. Uh, the, obviously, as I said, you're affected by the gravity. Um, the main game window is the upper two thirds of the screen here with the lower half given over to some UI information, including your number of remaining lives, the energy meter that you have, the countdown timer, etc., those kind of things. And there are quite a number of ways to die in this game. You can lose all your energy. You can lose all your lives. The timer can run out. You can get caught in a trap. You can get caught in the end of the level blast. This game is no pushover. It's very difficult, but the pace is good. And the floaty hoverbike thing or the Mekon source, whichever you happen to be controlling, while on the annoying side to control, give this a kind of more frantic and action-led pace. Sound effects are a bit sparse though uh, but what there is kind of work but there could have been a little bit more to sort of support the atmosphere of the game this does have a look of a mini dandere game it looks like it's supposed to it looks like what it is title screen comes on you get a nice dandere style image very much in the oeuvre of dandere and the game plays out as you expect when you start the game you end up with like a a uh, screen where Dan is kind of whizzing around, Dan Dare's whizzing around on his little hover ped, whatever it is, little hover scooter thing. And then when you start the game, he goes down one of the funnels uh, into the game, sort of, sort of uh, I guess you call it pipes, aren't they, really? You go down a pipe mm-hmm. and you're into the sort of levels of the game. The level 
levels themselves are constructed in that kind of way. So they're viewed, obviously, from the side. Um, you float around the different sort of mini corridors, and there are different kind of doorways. It's If you imagine, if you was going to describe the look of this, it's a cross between kind of a flashback-type platform, hovering around platforms with sort of pixel-based doors that are blocking your way. So there's kind of one-screen, multi-level thin corridors to go down and, and sort of because your graphics are quite small you're about a sprite big maybe a little bit bigger than that and all the rest of the sprites kind of float around and attack you so think um multi-corridors on one screen think of that kind of obviously not graphic fidelity of a flashback or anything like that but that that kind of approach to the sort of screen design and the periodically you get kind of pipes that you can go down or you'll be forced to go down you can't always go through some of the doors to even lock certain things the main game itself plays quite well and like i said it could just go done with a bit more sound effects um the problem really here should there be problems you either if you like this kind of thing you're going to have something to go at but this is quite punishing and i think if i was going to say anything it's these float and seek games are quite good in this way but I think pick a, a pick a couple of ways to die, but don't put so many in one game. I mean, this is hard. You only get, I think, six lives anyway. If your energy drains down, um, you lose a life, and you can lose that really quickly. Um, if you lose all your lives, it's game over. If you go into a room, some of the rooms will crush you. There's like a crusher in my room. That'll kill you instantly, and that's game over straight away. Mm-hmm. Um you go back to the start of the where you first came in, I think, as well. I don't think you, there's a point where you restart halfway through. Finding all of the tre- trains and um, killing them or releasing them in the time limit that you have and getting to the exit door and making sure it's closed in the very short space of time you have is very hard to do. Really, really hard to do. You're going to have to sort of play this level many, many times to basically either map it out or or memorize it so that you can remember where they all are because it's actually quite big um, when you're scooting around. There seems to be a lot more to this than meets the eye. And there's a couple of traps in there where you're it forces you to go a certain way, and you've got, and you have get, you have sort of get pushed back out. It's it's not a game that is going to um, be forgiving for you, but the graphics are quite nice. They look quite good. It's a nice pixel painted sort of style in this, which is nice. They're quite small, but they are quite nice, and it's quite refreshing. It didn't just do more of the same from Dan Dare. It does try something a bit different. I'm not sure it's quite there. I really like Dan Dare, and I like this game, but I was just it's something not quite as coherent as the first game. I think maybe because you're constantly under attack, and there's things that the first game didn't do that this one does do um but this is a finished game it's highly polished there's an ending to it as well so if you ever get there i think you can have fun playing through as dan dare then you can go through as the mecon so i think there's stuff to like but it got 83 percent in zap and i think that's probably about right um i think there's just too much difficulty layered on difficulty pick a couple of things but don't throw four or five ways to die into one game because that makes it really hard because you know your odds of survival are very slim then um but uh, i quite enjoyed playing this I think my final gripe would be how long are you going to play it for? The first Dan Dare had puzzles to solve and things to pick up and things to explore and do. And so you could sort of navigate and move around and add things to do. This is just kind of a lot of the same logic over and over again. So maybe that's the thing. Other than that, it's okay, Dan Dare. It's not bad. What about you? Yeah, I think you liked it more than I did. Um, this felt like Strange Loop to me. I don't even remember all the way back to that Strange Loop game. Um, yeah, and I, vaguely. Yeah, and I wasn't that enamoured with that, really. This looks, it looks really nice. I'll give it that. Really well-drawn sprites and backdrops, um, such as they are, they, but they are really well-designed, really drawn. I love the little trees in the little test tubes and stuff, the sort of high-res sprite overlay thing they've got going on for the bikes and everything. It's re- it's really nice. From a visual point of view, I mean, it got a high mark for its graphics, and they've, they're thoroughly deserved. This is a it's a really smart-looking game, this, and it moves around at a pace, and everything's everything looks thematically consistent, so that's always great the problem was i found but it's just issues which made me not really enjoy my time with it i found the controls quite annoying i I know it's got gravity i get it 
but you're either having to push up against the ceiling or go along the floor because you can't you can, either that or you're kind of just sort of bouncing or looping along and you kind of the way you sort of have to sort of push up it doesn't floppy know, bird was, logic, it really yeah and i just didn't like it. it didn't work for me because i was finding myself going in especially when you get two corridors you want to go into i'd find myself going into the wrong one because i push up a little bit too hard or to come down it just oh it was yeah, very frustrating part. so they just didn't feel like there was much weight to the uh the player which uh, you know considering you're a guy on a scooter and i know they're little and tiny but there still should be a little bit of weight on them. The problem was, though, the main thing, though, for me, is the timer. It's stupid. You're supposed to have 10 minutes. It says you've got 10 minutes. So you don't have 10 minutes. No, it's not, <laughs> it's about, is it? It's, it's really about a minute. Stunning. It's literally about a minute. And thus, you have to uh, rope learn the route to shoot at all 10 of them and get out. There's no margin for error. None. You screw up. You go in the wrong way. You miss the wrong bit. You go down the wrong way. The right. You're done. There's no point. So learning that route to shoot all the ten trains in the shortest possible time. It's, I don't know. I gave six, seven, eight tries. I was doing this. I was banging my head against the wall. Kept falling into that that room, which just kept crushing you. I just gave up on it. I gave up. I just gave up wanting to do it because I, I was I was fighting. Like you said, for me, it was fighting both the controls, which would lead to deaths in rooms. I was fighting the timer because it didn't feel like I ever had long enough. I'm sure that is long enough, but it's not. I don't know. It just fit. I, like you said, you know, give me one thing to fight against. This, if this had just controls where I was just kind of a little bit of inertia, maybe a little bit, but move me up and down, and I stop. Not this bouncing round and I'm just bouncing off stuff. And uh, but yeah, just it just conspired to make this annoying for me rather than thrilling, which is what I think they were going for. That sort of there's some nice touches. I like the fact that you can map out the whole place before you shoot the first one. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But you are fighting. They're constantly bothered by the Mekon who's following you around and trying to shoot at you and things like that. So. Okay, I get it. You can track around, try and map this out, and then sort of figure out what's the best way. Yeah, okay, that's quite all right. I just, is that the right way to do gaming? The whole planning? I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't. I want to be a bit more. I want it to be able to sort of compute it, feel like I could, I could just do it by just doing it rather than I've got to be, uh, this is a, this is the way, you know, to quote the Mandalorian. This is, this is the way. There is no other way. This is the way. And yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of what it is. I was also a bit. Like for me, I, that, that laser sound got on my nerves quite quickly, especially when you get the super laser me. shooter. When <laughs> it's a, it's like okay, no music, no music or no, any other kind the, of sound effects. Sound, that's what baffled me a little bit. I thought there'd be a bit more of that, but the first one was very sparse as well. It was, but I just thought you know. But I suppose the other one was a bit sparse, but it felt sparse because you were kind of exploring caves and things like that and stuff. And you had that little elephant thing following you around that went, ew, all the time. Yeah. But this could have just, I mean, a bit of music on the title screen. Yep. There was also the delay in playing as well. So when you pressed fire on the title screen, Dan had to go round and do a loop first before he dropped oh, down no. the... Oh, It's a bit silly, that. I was like, oh, God, just drop down. You're on your way. Just drop down. Stop it. Anyway, but yes, it's nice that there's two games in this. That's good. So there's the Dan version and the Mekon version, which offers you double the double the challenge, double the playability, and double sort of you know um, the things to do. That's good to see. There's some nice ideas in this and some really really good visuals, but for me, it was just let down by as you noted as well, repetitive gameplay because you just yeah, yeah. there's nothing else to it. You better like floating around on this hover bike because uh, that's it um in both modes and there's really not that much to do. I thought apart from just try and find the right way around. So yeah, this was a a nice looker but lacking any kind of depth to the to actual playing for me so that's what i thought but um i, I imagine you know if you're a dan Deer fan you probably get a bit more out of it but i never was so i don't know maybe that's why it is what it is there you go anything else you want to add no 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 i agree i think um it's a little bit i don't know very different game to the first one um, um but it, i think they've made more mistakes with this one by 
and it's the, the where there's some really good things graphic wise. They've just just pick a death, pick a pick a pick one or two things I've got to fight against. That timer is ridiculous in it. Yeah, so I would, it would have been so much better. Even I could have been a bit more forgiving of the bouncing around. I mean, I didn't mind it, but it does get annoying after a while if you didn't have a timer. If you weren't against the timer, that exactly. The, I can do, I can handle the controls, so I've got time to deal with them but having no time to deal with them renders it unplayable exactly and, uh, and, it might have even been a, a good little harder. two-player option in there couldn't there where you, one was the Mekon one was Dan and who's, who releases the trains and who you know, they, they could have added something like that as well yeah yeah they could have done there we go Dan Dare 2 it's alright your mileage may vary as did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anyway let's move on to our next one because I'm sure this will be a doozy Snooker and pool, Graham. Snooker mm. and pool. Budget title two ninety nine. Um, I didn't. I don't know who released this version. Who released this version? Gremlin, isn't it? It's Gremlin great. It is Gremlin. Title. Yeah, it is Gremlin. So let me take you back. So at this point, can you put in some like wibbly wobbly music? Woo! Yes. Uh, back in that. the mists of time, in episode twelve, we looked at Steve Davis's snooker complained about the lack of weighty balls and lamented it wasn't a very good snooker game. Okay, remember that? Yeah, all the way back. That was ages ago. It feels feels like a different, another lifetime. Fast forward, though, to episode 67. That's quite recent. And the budget mm. tile on cue appeared. And once again, mm. we lamented it wasn't a very good snooker game with terrible physics and played terribly and with its horrible brownness and horribleness. Now, here we are in episode 85 with snooker and pool. And to no one's surprise, this is a terrible snooker game with awful physics and awful and awful sound effects and awful visuals. Now, why am I bringing up those other two games? It's because this is the third time we've seen this game. Yep. It's literally the third game. I put the three screenshots in our agenda. I will post them. This is the same game. This is the third time they've tried to release it. They may have changed the UI. Um, I don't know what's going on. The original game that I could see was by like Mike Lamb. Sorry, Mike like Lamb. Mike Lamb on other platforms, but I couldn't find any credits for the C64 version. On Q was supposed to be by Sean Debray on other platforms, but again, nothing for the C64. This version, no credits for again, but Gremlin Graphics releases for two ninety nine, and it's the same inherent game as those previous two. Yep. I, th- I, I cannot get The UI in each one has been changed. There's, there was music back in the Steve Davis's snooker one, but that's gone. But the underlying game, well, it's just the same. And I mean the yeah. same, down to the sound effects, the movement of the cross, the awful physics, the terrible sound effects, the way the physics don't work, the awful sound effects, you, uh, the sound effects. <laughs> Terrible. It's the ball sort of just great across each other like cheese graters. It's awful. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to say much about this because what? why should we? I'm not sure what's happening with this title. It seems that someone, either someone is ripping off the terrible original, just ripping it out and just re, re-UI mm. it or whatever, or someone is just hawking it around to different publishers and no one's noticed that this game has been released twice before with only a UI change to differentiate it. The mm. thing is, though, is that it's still terrible, flickery, bitty, unenjoyable. I don't understand why someone is replicating this game and foisting it out time and time again. If you've been unfortunate to buy the first game the first two times, and you know, if you're a snooker fan, you, you very well may have done. There's not, not as if there's loads of snooker games on the or pool games on the C64. True. You, you may have you may have bought it. It's altogether possible you could have got suckered into buying this for a third time because it's quite possible. Two, three quid, you might go. Oh, yeah, yep. I'll give it a go and go. I've got this. I don't know. What, I'm not going to say any more about it. It's, it's essentially just go back to episode 12, listen to the Steve Davis review, go back to episode 67. Actually, I remember in the Steve Davis one, I've gone, hey, it's all right, but I've had a complete... <laughs> you went, no, it's yeah, not. You've played actually, it was, it's then. Yeah, I have. On cue was the same game. It's just the same thing. It's that brown, top-down brown tail with those crappy character balls, the yep. cross you move the about, the, the 
just garbage spin and oh it's awful even if this had been the first time it was released it would still be shit yeah but it's the third time the third time here is not the charm it is the rancorous odor of rip-off shit awful business practice here and shows the disdain for customers these software houses had back then you can't release the same game three times i mean i get it if it's a full price title and then they'd release steve davis's snooker as a budget title fair enough but they've repackaged it as on cue. Then they've repackaged it again. That was Mastertronic. The first one was, mm-hmm. I can't remember who did the first Steve Davis one, Mastertronic. And then now Gremlin. Someone must have noticed somewhere. I don't know. I, I don't understand this. I wasn't going to review this. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to put it in because I want to actually. And it's still got 29%. Mm-hmm. This should be a, a big fat zero as far as I'm concerned. Foisting the same game for the third time with people. It's just, it's just bad. Very bad. Bah, what do you got to say about this? It's got awful. It was crap the first time crap the second time and then the third time is did you not get the message (laughs) we've not made this clear to you it's crap this is a crap snooker game so crap that Steve Davis has clearly taken his name off it and gone, cool, that's so crap. Take my name off that. I don't want anything to do with that. No other snooker players would clearly touch it because it's crap. I didn't play pool because what's the point? Everything about it's crap. Horrible pingy physics, as we've said before. Not snooker-like at all. Really horrible sounds that sound like mini clacky explosions. A power system that's so bizarre, it defies belief. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just rubbish. Crap. Controls. Go away. Go away. This game needs to go away and and drown. Drown in a pool. So, no, no thanks. Rubbish. No. Shocking. Just shocking British practice. uh, it's, It's just... It's made it, you know, we've slowly, not slowly, I suppose, but we've come to the realization over a number of game and episodes that some of these companies are not just unscrupulous, but they're, they're really, they're morally, you know, they're, they're standing on very dodgy ground at the moment, some of these companies. They're releasing games that are broken, they're releasing games that they know for well are crap, CRL. And now we've got Gremlin releasing a game that they must have known. They, there's no way they didn't know this game had already been released and two other occasions. Didn't take the time to check or make sure it was working out and just released another one just to rip some more suckers off. Terrible, terrible. Shame on you, Gremlin, for that. Shame on you. Yeah, just a change of UI. I'm, I'm looking at the pictures right now. It's just a change of UI. Yeah, exactly. And not even a great one. No, no the fact that on cue in this Gremlin one, this one, all they've done is just move the table down and swap the UI from the bottom to the top. Yep, um, and just made the uh, surround sound, the surrounding brown a bit thicker. Yeah, egg Awful. off. Yeah, proper egg off. Awful. Terrible. 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 Here we go. That's snooker and pool. So it's not even worth the Chaz and Dave pun or anything, is it? That one. No, and refuse. Yeah, it's not worth it. Let's move on. Let's move on to our next one. We've got a couple left. Graham, this one's yours. Task three. This is a bit of an odd thing, this. Yeah. Released by Databyte, full price at 9.95, scored 77% in Zap. And this was created by Frank Endler, Peter Hemmer, and Volker Roth. Um, and the producer for this is down at Cybernetic Arts, uh, with the music also by Frank Endler. Um, so the blurb here, in the year 6038, 10 years after the Capin Wars... An evil emperor from a distant galaxy invaded the peaceful galaxy of Cybernetica. You, Prince Troma, son of the old wise Emperor Colon. <laughs> the Emperor Colon. All right. Uh, the last survivor of the Capin Wars. I'm so difficult to say Crappin. Emperor Colon of the Crappin Wars. But okay. The last survivor of the Capin Wars, Rebel Starfleet, must seek out and destroy this evil emperor. Your task, your task will not be easy. No, no shit. You must navigate your starship through the evil Emperor's private star system. Sounds painful. Hordes of alien ships and many well-laid traps await you. It could be your last journey. 
Um, okay, mission would have been a better word at the end there, wouldn't it? Journey. Yeah, probably. Mission. Yeah, I'm thinking mission. Um, so essentially, this is uh, a uh, sorry, a vertical shoot 'em up of sorts. Um, viewed from above, control of the ship similar to well, it's the control of the ship. It's similar to Iridium if Iridium was up and down. So in other words, you can flip your spaceship when you go up and down. That's that's not to say that it's the same as Iridium. It's not. There is that similarity in the way the ship animates. So you control your speed, speed of your ship up and down, and that will flip you in the different directions. Um, it's one or two player game where you take it in turns. Um, and if you obviously if you lose a life, then it switches to the other player. That's kind of the blurby bit. Um, so this plays out as a sort of a insanely difficult top-down scrolling shoot 'em up, to say the least. All these mm-hmm. very difficult. You start the game, um, each game with your ship, and you carry all the extra guns available. These guns are available for a limited period of time. New weapons must be added during play if you are to succeed in your mission. There are 16 levels of play, and each level contains one or more extra weaponry support platforms. These platforms are usually guarded, not always, by special support balloons. You can change the weaponry available by destroying, uh, by shooting, destroying the special support balloons. To implement the weaponry on your ship, just fly across the platform. Be careful not to collide with the station which surrounds each platform. Doing so will destroy your ship. You're going to know pain in this game. You're in space, aren't you? You are in this game a bit. Why yeah. do you need balloons? Let's just not even go. They're space balloons, remember? <laughs> it's no air for them to float in. So if you go and if you do want to collect extra weapons, there are a few. You can increase your speed so you can get a speed up, which means your plasma engine is capable of running at four different speeds. Every time you go over them, it gets faster. That's one of those annoying things, that. Mm-hmm. There's front lasers, side lasers, rear lasers, protection satellites, emergency package, which you pick that up. Um, you can carry it and you can get all the extra weaponry by pressing any key on the keyboard except the space bar and the run-stop key. There's a dimension warp, which allows you to move into another dimension. All the aliens now will now appear to move in slow motion. Quite nice. It slows everything down, eventually. Mm-hmm. And smart bombs, obviously. So this plays out as a kind of shooter in that way, whereas in the sense of your the spaceship, you start at the bottom, aliens are going to come towards you in ways, but there's also sort of things in the way. I guess it's part of the base station stuff that there is. I don't know what you call that. The mainstay there is that you can't hit that. If you touch it, you're dead. So you've got to sort of steer your ship around some of the details that are in there, which is fine, um, but it's quite fast. The scrolling on this is fast. I'll come to the production level of this in a minute, but the scrolling on this is quite fast when it gets going. It's actually quite hard to not hit things in this game. You can shoot mm-hmm. all the time and there's loads of shooting going on, but the game is quite frantically paced, quite challenging it is as well. And you're on a timer as well. You're on a countdown as well, another one, yeah. um, which is no fun. So the idea is you've got to get through these 16 levels and you know defeat the evil emperor and all of that. Fine. Okay. There's loads to like it here. And then it's all underpinned and undermined by some really annoying things as well which is such a shame because the presentation here is excellent. The vibrant, colourful sprites and backgrounds look really nice. There's a really great soundtrack, a very underrated soundtrack by Frank Endler, the only one he ever did, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Really good soundtrack for this. Really nice graphics. They look the part. Uh, nice, Really nice sound effects. The explosion sound effects is really good in this. Um, there's lots of heavy use of filters. Now, depending on which C64 you had and which variation of the SID chip might very well dictate what this sounded like. Now, I can tell you that I had this originally way back in the day. I had a cracked version back in the day. And it sounded different on my C64 to every other version I've played for this podcast. So it just, I'm saying it just sounded. Now, I I think that my version originally sounded better, but no, Tajuri's out on that one anyway. So the sound is really good. It is a top-down, like, Eurydium-alike, but there's a frantic pace to the proceedings. There's a real arcade sensibility with this. Um, And I think it's demonstrated in the game in sequences like where your life ends or where you get to the next bonus level and it counts down all the things you've shot in kind of a frantic kind of sound. 
It's got a really Williams arcade sort of vibe about that bit. It's really loud and the sound's kind of obnoxious as it counts down. If you think of when you get to the end of level in Narc and you get that, it counts all this, you know, drugs and things. You get a lot of Williams games have that at the end of their levels, that really loud. So I think it's a little bit of a throwback to that. None of those things are, are bad. The front end and everything about that is good. The issue here is the usual one, for starters, difficulty. Though there's upgrades and, and all sorts of bits, you die so often and so quickly here that it's mad. I mean, within you can die within literally within a second of starting this level. It goes, start this level, bam, dead. If you don't move, you're dead. Yeah. Um, it's because the scenery kills you if you touch it. The enemies kill you, and that can happen so fast you'll wonder what the hell's going on in both instances. You could be through three lives in this game in a matter of seconds. It is ridiculous. Um, I made it by a complete fluke to level two because I just kind of avoided stuff. And I think part of me, I sort of thought, maybe I'm trying this wrong. Maybe this is more of an um, eyeball-type game where you've got to just race up the top of the screen and try and race through it. But they put deliberately annoying traps in the way, which will kill you really easily. So you've got to think about that. But I think that's the way to do it, is to just sort of race your way through which isn't really that much fun because the levels are quite short if you do that. Um, now, I got to the, say I got to level two um, in this and I was I thought I'd done well there and then I was dead within less than seconds, even short seconds on the second level. But it is all really, really, really nicely drawn. There's a really nice sort of pipeline background details and the styles and the colours work really well. It's just so punishing that it feels a bit heavy on that. Um, now, an interesting thing that um, I thought might apply to this, and I didn't do this, I just played the game. I don't put the cheat codes on when we have trainers on things because you could, but I don't. But um, one of our um, Patreons noted an interesting fact about a game. So I don't tend to use the trainers, but I think there are trainers on the version that we had. And I think if you want to try and find a better route to playing this game to get to those late levels and enjoy it, as I said, a keen member of our Patreon community, I think it was J-Dove, noted that tactical use of some trainers provided by some of these sort of cracking groups, if you like, if used in the right way, can enhance the gameplay of some of these imposse shooters. And he noted, yeah, or yeah. they noted rather, sorry, that um, the uh, like with IO, for instance, with a clever use of them, it, you didn't cheat to the point when you could be you were invincible, but you applied the right logic at the start. So he, he made it so that you had, I think, more weaponry at the start, which made that game more forgiving and where you needed it to work. So it kind of worked better. I think you could probably do that with this. And if you applied, because there's, I think a tr the trainer's got, I think, six or seven options. And I think if you applied some of those options in the right way, you'd start at a better, in a better position to be able to sort of get more used to the game, as long as you can avoid the scenery to some extent. So I think this is a tough game and it's, very very it's wrapped in some very fine audio and some nice video window dressing and the score from zap i think is about right at 77 percent because i don't know that there's not much to it and and i think the problem here is that it's, it is a bit repetitive maybe but i don't know how far you're going to get into this because it is really really difficult now as for the music well the music's fantastic and there's some amazing tunes buried in here as well um if you want to hear a lot of them look to any of the science 451 demos that came around at that time because they were heavily in heavily into this music i'm telling you but um i have to say i like the look and this and i think it's just perhaps a bit of a tough one to get into because it maybe i'm just too my reaction times just aren't ready for a game of this type i don't know um, but what did you think yeah i'm very similar actually i think this has um i don't, I don't know if they are but this has demo coders written all over it for me um they, they, they might have been they might have been I, I don't know for sure the music certainly is has that the music line. the look the sound the smoothness the presentation yeah so it's, it's got a really demo-ish title screen as loads well loads of nice color effects and text swiping in and out cracking yeah, rasta bars and rasta stuff bars. Like it looks like if you were you know it looks like a demo it just everything how about this has the look and feel of demo coders making a game it looks and sounds great throughout it's really loud it's very loud this game 
that said, it's it's got really good and varied sound effects. They're all over the place, and they're just thick and fast. Uh, and unusual music for title screen, and unusual music for the high school table as well. Uh, the visuals are great. They're well drawn, animated sprites, and excellent shaded backdrops. Can't fault anything to do with this. The presentation of this title is really well executed. But as you have rightly said, it is all let down when playing it, unfortunately. Um, I see, yeah, like you said, I saw this described as a vertical Iridium, and I guess it is to some degree. But there's something in that change from horizontal to vertical that just doesn't work. There's something in the viewpoint change that makes it not right. It's, I think it's the amount of screen you can see and the design of the levels, because obviously the C64 is wider than it is tall. So you've got more viewpoint on the Iridium, and obviously it uses kind of that middle third or the middle sort of sort of fourth or whatever this kind of uses it all and there's so much stuff and it's so nice and sometimes it's so densely packed and there's aliens flying all over the shop and you're so prescripted on what part of the screen you can use because flying into anything at any point anywhere will kill you so you can only fly in the black parts and on level one you just like you said just fly up the left what else you, there's just nothing to do you just fly up the left and you can yeah, complete yeah, level yeah. one in about 10 seconds and avoid that laser thing it. that zaps yeah. you but yeah so um so it just works there's something in the amount of screens i said it's just you know and also as well i found unlike you i found the delay in restarting it's just sit through that counter everything you did every time you die i thought that got annoying quite quickly I just want to be back into it a shooter i want to be back in i get it with narc at the end of a level fair enough at the end of a level i get but every time you die no 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 i just want to get back so there's some good great design here visual design oral design but it lacks a game designer's touch we've said this about other ones i think if this would have been better as a standard vertical shmup with enemies and power-ups and i think if they had stuck to that rather than this strange iridium style vertical hybrid thing that they tried to go for which also as right as you noted i've noted as well reminded me more of eyeball as the objective seems to get to the top of the level within the timer made that, all those visuals flying over so you could have flown over those stations and stuff mm. blowing stuff up and waves of enemies coming down i think they would have been much much better off just keeping it simple and keeping a really good shooter it's been hard yes okay fair enough but at least it would have been a bit more understandable and i think a bit more approachable this game to me i don't think it really knows what it wants to be it wants to be a shooter but maybe it doesn't i don't know maybe they did mean it to be like eyeball which is a racing game i don't think they did though so i think it, it doesn't know what it wants to be so it doesn't succeed in either of those things it's somewhere in the middle you know, it's in it's in nowhere man's land in regards to what it game it can be, and that's what I think. It's a very pretty game and a very good sounding game, but it's a bit of a near miss for me. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that. I can see that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have seen them. You know, someone just come in and go, look. <laughs> you guys are amazing. <laughs> you do incredible stuff, yeah. but, but the game doesn't play. And I bet they're all like, oh, it plays brilliantly because they do that thing. You know, they're probably playing it themselves and they know exactly what, you know, but task three, te- it was, was 10 pounds though as well. Don't forget. It's a bit of a pricey proposition maybe yep. for, for this. There we go. There we go. It's task three. Let's move on because we've got one more left. And that one is Sokoban. Sokoban. Okay, so Sokoban, so the life of a warehouse foreman is never an easy one, especially when someone has been in and randomly scattered your crates across all 50 floors, leaving only you and your mechanical removal droid to get everything back into place before Boris Johnson turns up in a high-vis jacket for no reason whatsoever. That's what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the life of Sokoban. Uh, which is basically, if you translate it, basically means warehouse keeper. So this game, 
This type of game originally dates back to 1981 when it was designed by Hiroyuki Imabayashi. It was first published in 1982 on the NEC PC8801 platform by Thinking Rabbit. This version was developed by Spectrum Holobyte and released in the UK by Mirasoft and was coded by Dan Geisler with visuals by Jeffrey Stockel and design by Khaled Bentabal. It's $12.99 and disc only this as well. And this really seems to be one of the oldest video game variants of the old sliding block puzzle games. It's kind of one of those. Um, So in this variant, as noted, you're tasked with tidying up 50 levels of a warehouse that has been left with boxes all over the place, with crates everywhere. So when the game loads up, you can choose to play or enter into edit mode. Choosing to play sees you enter up to four players' names, and then you find yourself in the lift, or about to enter the lift, with the option to enter any floor. This is quite good, actually, because there's 50 levels to this, and you essentially just type in the number of floor you want to go to, and that's the level you go to. So you can take, you can challenge these at any in any order you wish. Obviously, the higher the floor, the more difficult they are. So you start, obviously, you're you know you're best off starting on floor one, should we say? Um, so that's quite good. And you basically just use your, you just direct your little guy's hand who's next to the, uh, next to the, uh, uh, the the lift, and he choose the floor. Uh, once it's loaded, it's a bit of a slow loader. This though, have to say, takes a little bit of time to load, a lot of loading. So once it's loaded, this, you're greeted with a top-down view of the warehouse with the crates scattered about it. So each level is a maze of narrow corridors, crates, walls, and most importantly, spaces for all the crates to be pushed onto. So the targets, so there might be eight crates scattered about, and then somewhere in this warehouse, there are eight little spaces marked, and you've got to get those crates back to back to those eight spaces. And that's the, what this whole game is about. Is about. So uh, you control your little man, so this is a little guy, um, and it's, it's all grid-based, so... Crates and walls take up one grid space. Moving the joystick in any direction moves your little man one grid space in that direction. Should you be up against a crate, you will push the crate. You can push it in any, you know, so if you're left, right, you'll push it in the direction you're going to move as long as the space is clear beyond it. If there's anything beyond it, you can't push it. So that includes another crate, wall, anything. There has to be clear space for you to push that crate. Uh, to push that crate. The objective of each level, as I said, push all the crates around the maze and get them all onto the finishing spaces. So... I mean that's it. So this is the there's 50 levels of this. It's in and in reality this is one of those classics of game design and and this can be seen throughout this type of thing can be seen throughout the history of games even if it's not the main point of the game. If you think of like the PlayStation and N64 period, these there were so many games that replete with games with block moving puzzles, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, Soul Reaver, Banjo-Kazooie even if you go into the PS3 and you think of games like The Last of Us, where you're shoving crates around to climb up ledges and stuff, it's all the same sort of thing. God of War, how many moving br- crate uh, puzzles were in the original God of War? There's loads, if I seem to remember. Uncharted, that kind of puzzle of moving, pushing crates around to get them into the right place when you had to pull one out to push one in and pull one out, they're still with us. There's even Babber is You, which um, I keep mentioning, but that's in there as well. It's easy to see why this is. Um, because it's easy for the player to understand and it's easy for the developer to implement have the heck so have the exit up high some boxes to push around to get to it there's you know it's a simple puzzle to eat up players time and so that's why it sort of it sits there and it's in repetitively done in so many games have something of weight needs to be moved onto a pressure pad think portal those kind of things where you're pushing something around or i think those kind of moving blocks it's all it's all sort of derives from this kind of thinking it's all just shoving boxes in one form or another i don't know if it goes back beyond that 1981 i didn't look into the full history of it but this is those sliding tile puzzle games those are also got variants of it these kind of games are really commonplace on mobile this i played i was playing I used to play a car park in one where you had a load of cars in a car park and you had to move them about and drag them in and get them all into spaces that they needed to be in but you could you know you had to create a thing and that was then block dragging 
in. There's been loads of them. There's loads of the other variants filling up those stores. So, you know, with that in mind, it's easy to see why this, even with its rather simple visual and oral stylings, is still fun to play with a couple of caveats. So the visuals for this are pretty simple. You just have a top-down view. There's nothing special. It's very bland in, in, a, in a sense. Everything's clearly defined, though, so that's kind of easy to see. The background is just like a pale blue. The spaces, you just like little marks. The crates are little sort of character graphics. Everything's character graphics. It looks fine. It has a slightly sort of, not isometric, but slightly 3D-ish view to just sort of give it a little bit of depth. It looks fine. It does the job. The pleasure of solving a puzzle on this, you know, when you've been banging your head against it, is as satisfying as ever. And no real amount of graphical fineries is really needed to provide that. It's simple and it triggers that part of the brain, kind of like Tetris does, that wants you kind of want to, you know, creating order from chaos because Tetris is all about things falling and, and making them into a line. You create that order from chaos of things falling. This is the same thing. Crates scattered all over the place. Tidy it up. You know, tidy it up and that gives you some satisfaction. and gives you that, you know, you feel very clever and you get a big old dose of dopamine when you get something right. Yeah, I got it right. I'm clever. It's that. It's, there's no, you can't get around that. It's simple looking and sounding. The loading is a pain in the ass and the whole warehouse graphics around it are neither here nor there, but it does the puzzles right. That, that you know that first one's quite tricky but the second one even trickier and you, but when you sort of figure out ah oh, i just got to pull that no i'm doing about this the wrong way because usually when you start it the obvious way is never the right way <laughs> it's usually the one you think actually if i move that oh then i can move that and i can get around the back there to push that one and then go about it it's a little bit slow this i imagine if you ran this on vice at 200 percent speed this would be a hell of a lot better uh, because it is a little bit slow because some of the t- some of the mazes are quite big and pushing the blocks around takes ages to get them running about to get it running around the other way to get that it take take a little you know take a little time um but and it does some nice things there's a undo a move so you can press the u uh key and that will undo one step just just the one step don't do any more so be careful if you do something wrong um and it's a quick restart if you just tap f3 so that's quite nice you just restarts the mace you can have a go at it again if you realize you've made you know a mistake like all of these games because it's as so like all of these games, it's easy to mess up a go way before you realize you've messed it up. You won't realize till about 10, 13, 15 steps later, you go, oh, why did I push that one there? Damn it. All the way back. Restart because you can't undo and that you're done. It's part of the appeal, though. That's the reason we like these games. And it's the reason why they've stayed with us from these early 2D examples to showing up in massive 3D blockbusters. You know, there's just a, a classic of like puzzle design and it's just easy to implement. Like I said, there's 50 levels to go out here and a level editor to make 49 of your own, I think. I think this is still worth a look. Set some time aside for it, though, because it's not the fastest, like I said, or play it at 200% speed. Block moving puzzles, they always appeal to me. I really like them. So I found this, I was playing this quite a lot this week. I really enjoyed this game. Never played it before. Didn't know this was the history of this kind of this kind of block puzzle game. Never sort of looked into it, but I was kind of enjoying my time sort of sort of investigating where these have come from and sort of having a having a look around these. I thought this was really good. It got 81%. I can see that's probably about right because 13 quid, okay, and it doesn't look that great and it sounds probably worse. But four players, I think you can do some kind of four-player competitive mode or something weird as well. So I really enjoy my time with Sokoban. But then again, it's block-moving puzzles. <laughs> What's not to like? For me, it just, just hits that pleasure pain. Pleasure center in my head. And I go, oh, I've got to figure this. Got to figure it. So I enjoyed this. What about you? It was all right. It's simple. I mean, um, graphics are very simple. But it's one of those rabbit hole type puzzles, isn't it? So once you start down the 
sucker ban path you're going to be down there for a while yeah exactly um and yeah. that's that's fall fair enough starts off easy enough it uh, gra- gradually draws you in which is nice uh, you'll make more mistake on the first level initially and then you'll go all oh, right and then you sort of do it right the next time and then you're on to level two and so on and so on and so on loads of stuff to go out here isn't there with an editor and everything plenty to get your teeth into look it's not going to blow anyone away with its graphics or its pace um but you know, I don't know. I'd never heard of it by this name. I probably played a million variants of this at one way or another. Um, I never associated, you know, a lot of fun with these for me, but it was good enough. It's a really good little solid puzzler. It is a bit basic, I think, for the twelve ninety nine asking price. Um, but it is what it is, what it is. It does exactly what it sets out to do, and it is fiendishly Moorish when you're playing it, these these sort of games. Now, these generally don't do it for me, these kind of games. So I'd, I'd play them, but it wouldn't be a game I'd go repeatedly back to. I know that they're very much up your streets, but not mine. But it is an interesting game, very clever concept. Simple ideas always work really well if you just stick to them being simple. Mm-hmm. You don't need to egg this pudding, do you? Nope. It's just it's a nice, simple puzzle game. And that's, you know, these simple puzzle games have a legacy that extends way beyond the life of computers. So there's been puzzles around of this type of, of this kind of way for, for a long time. Even if you look at the old puzzles where you've got those blocks that you have to form into a square or different yeah, yeah, shapes. Exactly, or, yeah. that it, it, it just transcends. Simple po- logic puzzles and things like that transcend all of this sort of stuff. That's why things like um, uh, the newspapers have all of those different puzzles into this day. You know, you mm-hmm. just need a pen and a bit of time. So um, I think this is quite good. I, I just thought it was maybe on the expensive side for what it was. Yeah, but yeah. You, you know what you were getting. If You know you're getting a lot of puzzle for your money, really. And if you like puzzles, you're gonna love it so um i thought it was i i thought it was good at what it is just perhaps a bit basic but that's my only criticism and that's not a criticism really because it's basic on purpose it's good so yeah good little game that just a bit expensive but good yeah i, I yeah it is 13 quid does seem a bit it's just because it's on disc in it i mean it's quite cheap i suppose for a disc game because uh, they're maybe, usually, usually still, 15 quid aren't they i suppose yeah i think it would have done i think it might have been you know i don't know maybe this you just need a bit more optimization on the code and perhaps yeah i'm not quite sure i don't think because the level of graphics are not that great i'm sure they could have fit them into memory yeah that's what i was thinking i mean especially with it sort of a tile-based logic of this sort of thing but yeah i'm not quite sure when you you get stuff like know. starquake and wizards layer and stuff with hundreds of screens well, the thing is, I was like thinking that. about this because it all seems simple on the surface, but I suspect if you've got lots of movable sprite objects going up and down and left and right, I suspect there's a multiplexer in there somewhere. And I think it's all character-based, isn't it? I have no idea. I don't know. It looks character Maybe. based. Might be. I don't know. That's still no easy thing to code. No, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it's so, not. I'm just saying it's just it's weird you can have a game with hundreds and hundreds of screens like we get with some of them and yeah. in a single oh, yeah. and, I think so I mean optimization perhaps is the enemy of this game. But yeah. I don't know how old it is. It looks like it looked like a very old game as well. I think this is another one of those um because I think the it's by software. I think it's coded in the US. Yeah, and, back and of as, the radiator special. As, as we've said in the U, before with the US, they all had disk drives. Yeah. So, so the disk drive was the way that they, I think that was the US thing. When it, everyone had a disk yeah. drive over there. We, we were all tape in the UK, mostly. Yeah, was a different, we, were, different, we loved our cassettes, that's for we, sure. We did. It was cheaper, weren't we? Um, mm. That's what they were. Not cheaper. Well, it came with a cassette player. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, I mean, <laughs> the disk drive was like about 200 quid, wasn't it? They were. 200 yeah. pounds. Yeah. My disk drive costs more than my Commodore 64. <laughs> That's crazy. I know, bog, isn't <laughs> That's it? crazy. And, and, exp- and that was a difficult convince, let me tell you. Not as expensive as those we saw on uh, eBay this week that someone linked us to. They were insane. Uh, oh, yeah, 450 quid for V. Yeah, no one's going to pay that. Do you know, a, an interesting aside about all of this, great products that have ever been bought you as a, you know computer-related products when you were younger. I mean, for me, disk drive and an action replay. I mean, that that, che- that changed my entire outlook on computers forever. 
it changed your life. It did. Absolutely did. I mean, the disk drive, but mine was really clacky. Mine was a really loud clacky 1541C clacky drive, clacky express. So, you know, it, it would actually rattle itself out of alignment, that thing in the end. So you had to go periodically to take it to the one place where you could take it, which was at the uh, King Edward Business Park in Grimsby, <laughs> where there was one guy that had the magic whatever toolkit it was to realign your bloody disk drive heads <laughs> after they vibrated themselves unconscious. So stupid thing. What a design fault that is. What yep. a design fault. Huge. Anyway, there we go. That's it. That's our games for this week. That's, that's this week done. Um, what have we looked at? We looked at, uh, we started off with fourth and inches, for which now, we... Which yeah, for now, for now, which we uh, we love a bit of fourth and inches. We like oh, a bit of that, yeah, a bit of inches. We do, we do like that, uh, absolutely. Uh, we didn't like thunder crap. No, um, we did not. We did not. The brownest spaceship in the world. It's grey in the game. <laughs> Why would you yeah. do that title screen brown? They would even, there's no con- aligned thinking with that game. Those are all <laughs> people that were making different parts of something else, and it got bolted together like Frankenstein. True, I suppose. Uh, we quite like the version of Blockbusters. Did what it said. It was the yeah, version yeah, of Blockbusters yeah, it, that was, it that is was Blockbuster. all right. A bit, it's a little bit on the dull side, but it was all right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Dan Dare 2, uh, which yeah, you like. A misfire. A I like it, but it's still a, still a bit of a misfire. Yeah. Uh, Snooker and Pool, which was Crap. offensive with its re-releaseness. Yes. Um, Task 3, which looked and sounded amazing, but yeah. lacking a bit in the uh, gameplay chops. And finally, Sokoban, a timeless sort of puzzly classic thing which could have the irony of those last two one of them needs the game design as the graphics the other one needs the graphics but as the game design <laughs> yeah you put them together it might be yeah. murder <laughs> just it's just two games there that suffer from opposite ends of the spectrumitis yeah actually yeah and and i don't even know i mean obviously sokoban means warehouse film what does task three actually mean well i'm guessing that it's uh the third task <laughs> what were the first two <laughs> Um, I don't know, but something to make do with the, the colon cleanser. Make the sound. They never got round to task three, which was doing the gameplay. <laughs> it's the uh, colon cleanser, wasn't it? The emperor of colon or whatever he was. <laughs> colon Klingon, whatever it was. Crapper. Yeah. Cla- the yeah, crapper. crapper. The crapper wars. The crapper wars with the cult of the emperor of colon or whatever he was, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Oh, dear. All right, that's it. That's this week. We have what we've got coming up next week. We've got another final seven games of um, uh, April 1988. There were 21 in this issue, so we've got seven more. So next week, we'll be looking at The Train. The Train. Or, or The Train to Normandy, I think it's also known as well. The Train. Um, something called Magnetron. The Train. Magnetron, oh no. <laughs> Magnetron's one of those words, isn't it? It's just like, yeah. it's just a word. Magnetron. Is it going to be Magnety or is it going to be Tronny? I don't know. Could be either. Mm. Who knows? I mean, Scumball with Linda in it, isn't it? Yeah, true. Uh, uh, Roll Around, which sounds okay. like a Mike Reed uh, game. clone. I was thinking Mike Reed game show. That was Run Around. I know. We've got Roll Around. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> Roll Around. <laughs> Black Lamp. Okay. Tim Follin. Yeah. Uh, something called Stratton. Which is not very Weird. good. Um, I've had a look at this next one, and good God, BMX Hyperbiker Simulator. Oh, Christ! <laughs> Stupid BMX Hyperbiker Simulator. Oh, I just no. And then finally, Firefly. Oh, with its is... weird buzzy soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's suit up, isn't it? Uh, so that's what we've got coming up next week. 
um, I've already said about the Patreon. Um, I don't think I've got anything more I need to add. Uh, obviously, we'll be looking at TV, film, and yeah, TV and film next week, all in one. Yes. So you can enjoy yeah. that too. We're moving on a pace. That's nearly April done. Um, have you got anything you wish to add, Mr. Raddings? No, no, I don't. Um, it has been interesting this episode, hasn't it? With a few better games than average, but there's still some killer mistakes in some of them isn't there and some that should never have been released for a third time so yeah i think the average for april has been on average higher than march yeah it has we liked a lot more of them we did yeah it's had you know it's had some you know some drops like heli drop or whatever that thing was but yeah it has but you know the the graphics ante is being up you've got some great titles fourth and inches and stuff like that we've had some good titles in april we have yeah it has been yeah it's been it's been a Better, the trajectory better is getting better, I think. It is, yeah. We're seeing we're seeing better. nearly fifty percent positive each week at the moment. So yeah, yeah, that, is, that good. is is very very good, good for us. Um, and there you go. So yeah, so we've got that coming next week. I don't know if we've got any crap words. We might have a crap, but we also have the charts and everything as we round out April next week. So I think we should go. I think we should leave people should. to the rest of their yeah. lives as ever. I have been Adrian Mills, and I have been Graham Raddings, and you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.